so uh, I'm so embarrassed. Uh, I, I I'm afraid that I think I, I watched the wrong movie again for our podcast. <laughs> uh, did you also try to get this from the library and end up getting big trouble in Little China? <sighs> My God, I okay. Well, no, I wouldn't be embarrassed. I'd be delighted if fate dealt me <laughs> dealt me that particular hand of cards. That's like. <laughs> That that's great. It's like winning the lottery, basically. Oh, I don't have to watch the film Big Trouble. No, I I I watched a movie uh, about a a symbol that you put at the far side of a page of sheet music to show what key it's in and that gets really big. I watched Big Treble, and oh god, a a great movie that I loved and will treasure in my heart forever. But it was not the one we meant to watch. Truman and Cass, for hire, late night shows, if you need a, a joke writer, everyone. I, I mean, I mean, now listen, now listen. Uh, I think that that joke was considerably stronger than a lot of jokes in the movie that we watched. So, uh, <laughs> well, okay, roast me point. all you want, but <laughs> also late night shows, if you need me to send marketing emails, I can also do that. I have a little more experience. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Uh, God. We watched Big Trouble this week. Um, we sure a did. movie that I think you and I have an interesting past experience with in very different ways, and I, I oh. cannot wait to get into that. Um, I, I was I was lying in bed last night thinking I can't wait to talk to my friend Landon about Big Trouble because I have so many thoughts and I want to hear his thoughts about I Big wanna, Trouble. I want to maybe start the conversation here, which okay. is um, we've talked a little bit. Uh, through our movie episodes and um, I think it, through a few of the character actors on Home Improvement, Get Shorty has come up a few times. It has. It has. And it was a movie that I think I had seen two times before yesterday mm -hmm. where I saw it originally because there was a big hubbub about it and I, I probably rented it. Uh, it came out in 95, so by 96, 97, uh, I was movie curious and thought, I'm going to watch the movies that I hear people talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think That's I picked it up and went, it. yeah, I, I picked it up and went, this is too, this is, this is an adult film. I mean, you know, like <laughs> in terms of adult humor and themes and like, I just, it, I was not into it. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I got a few years into film school and thought, Oh, I love Tarantino. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I probably had just seen Big Trouble and thought, oh, I should watch Get Shorty again. Mm -hmm. And I did and and was like, okay, yeah, cool. That's a movie everyone loves. Mm -hmm. And so last night I thought in preparation for Big Trouble, Big Trouble has once again sparked my, my – uh, curiosity about Kit Shorty <laughs> every what every like 10 or 20 years it strikes again it's like a meteor shower or something you just sit up in bed I, I must watch Get Shorty I do have a few films like that Superman from 1978 and okay uh as good as it gets every time Ooh. about five years go by I'm like I don't like that movie but I think I was wrong about that movie I should mm -hmm. put that movie on and finally like it and yeah. then never do I, God bless your diligence on this. Also, also, Get Shorty and As Good As It Gets are like those two posters, like those two VHS cases just will forever be sitting on adjacent shelves in, <laughs> yes. in, a, in a video store. You know, it, it just like I always walk past one right after the other. Yes. Yeah. So I watched Get Shorty last night. Um, Barry Sonnenfeld uh, directed mm -hmm. that, who directs this movie. Yeah. I feel like it's very much in the same sort of 
comedy, crime, you know, somewhat imbecilic uh, characters, mm-hmm. though this one mm-hmm. leans far more in that direction. Oh, yes, it um, does. I, I just, I, I, okay, here, I like them both the same. Big Trouble and Get Shorty, I like equally. And I don't wow. know if that says good things about Big Trouble or bad things about Get Shorty, but uh, just the not it just is not uh, doesn't doesn't get me going doesn't galvanize me. It it you know I think I take that as a slam on Get Shorty because watching Big Trouble last night I was thinking like wow it's. Listen, like this this is not a good movie and it's directed by who someone who I think is a very good director and watching it and thinking like, man, I wish I was watching Get Shorty, the actual good version of this. But I also I think I last saw Get Shorty when I was like the equivalent of you in film school, like, yeah, Tarantino movies are cool. So <laughs> Well, I, I don't let, know. let's talk about Barry Sonnenfeld for a second. What what makes you think he's a good director? Uh, I mean, well, uh, let's see. I mean, he, the the camera work that he does is really exciting and kinetic. And uh, when he first started doing it as the director of photography for like Sam Raimi and the Coen Brothers, it was okay. very, it was very technically like boundary pushing and like he kind of yeah. innovated in big ways there. But then also the movies that he makes, the cameras zooming around and it, it creates this kind of very over the top. Um, uh, uh, like almost circus-like atmosphere that makes his movies feel larger than life. So he can make a movie like Men in Black or a movie like Get Shorty, which is kind of about these zany things happening. And just the way that the movie is photographed and shot, the way that the actors are blocked in the frame or the way that they move through space, it all just feels so much more exciting than in a movie directed by a lot of other directors. Now, I'm I'm just gonna say I think that is indication. And I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I, I to me that feels indication that he's a good camera person. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a good mm-hmm. photographer because a good director I think would be able to take this material because the Big Trouble material in and of itself with a few tweaks I think could be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, and I I feel like it's I don't know. It, it falls short. And when I think back on like Adam's family and Adam's family values, like those are fun movies. Are they well-directed movies? I don't know. I, I, I seem to remember both of them having really good editors uh, and they're shot well, but um, are they, you know, Pantheon movies? I'm not sure. Uh, mm. Cause he has just as many, you know, bad movies. He did wild, wild West. He that did all true. three men in blacks. True, true. He did true, Big yes. Trouble. Yeah. Uh, he did a movie that keeps coming up, Truman. He did yeah. the movie RV. Wait, wait. A movie about a family taking a vacation <laughs> in a recreational vehicle? Well, that's a great idea. We should watch more movies like that. Were any home improvement people in a movie about a family in an RV? Oh, my God. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you. And, yeah, so I, I, he did a couple... Most recently, I think the last movie he did was uh, Nine Lives uh, from oh, 2016. Yes. I think got derailed by uh, Kevin Spacey's conspiracy. Conspiracy oh. scandal is what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah. Conspiracy implies that it's not true. Uh, would you? Would you say? <laughs> Listen, was... I, I got some spicy opinions. Uh, uh. Just follow the hashtag uh, Free Kevin, and you can get all the information there. 
hashtag let me be frank you know when he when he released those those christmas videos shot in his kitchen trying to start a fan oh. campaign to get back on house of cards you were like yes 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 we're we're only about a week and a half away from christmas here so we we should be expecting another one soon here i i, I cannot wait i can i am i'm very excited to see what our, our that little scamp is up to um <laughs> I, and now i'm going to circle back to a five minute old joke and say that nine lives was not derailed it was perhaps declawed by the allegations that i shouldn't be making light of um okay it agreed maybe he's not maybe he's not a good director but his movies all have a they have a look and they have yeah. an energy to them yeah and that is agreed. interesting and unique and that to me i think goes a long way hmm. when we've watched especially when we've watched a lot of movies that just are you know, Christmas with the Cranks is just like, yeah, well, they set up a camera and had some stuff going on in front of it. And trust me, that's yeah. also a, a good way to, I guess that's a good way to describe every movie. But like, at least, at least the filth here looks different from the other filth, you know? I, okay, well, agreed, yes. And I will say this is, uh, you know, a, definitely a different type of movie. The closest to the Coens we are going to get. Now, <sighs> I will say, though, after watching Get Shorty and Big Trouble as a double feature, um, this just feels kind of like a, a bad attempt at Cohen humor. Yep, yep, exactly. Which, to me, is, is you know, like another indication that he's a better director and is just kind of living in the playground that he's used to. Um, but, you know, there are some technical things here that I think are worth... Uh, pointing out and we'll get to those in due time but yeah well well look and i have a lot to say about how much this is drafting in the in the uh uh wake of the cohen's how about i give people a quick summary of what this movie is that we're talking about so much let's do it recently divorced former miami herald columnist elliot arnold played by home improvements tim allen gets pulled into a wacky South Florida caper involving a couple of bumbling criminals, a corrupt construction magnate, a pair of luckless hitmen, some trigger-happy FBI agents, a nuclear bomb, and a homeless guy named Puggy. That could be the DVD jacket, by the way. I just want to give myself credit. Late-night <laughs> late comedy writers, concise. don't call me. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's no way to capture all of the characters in this movie. I would say... Maybe too many characters in this movie. Uh, per- perhaps, perhaps to the point that we don't really get to know any of them at all. Uh, yep, yep. A, a lot of the, characters, the... and also, but also a lot of actors who went on to be notable in one way or another. Yeah, uh, I, Shocking. I don't even know how to handle talking about the cast of this movie. Um, we talked a little bit about Barry Sonnenfeld, who directed this. Uh, just to place this in his uh, filmography. Oops, mm-hmm. where'd you go? Come back here. Where, where, where did he go since uh, since Nine Lives? He uh, most recently directed uh, episodes of uh, the Neil Patrick Harris um, uh, series of Unfortunate Events and episodes of Schmigadoon. Oh, Schmigadoon. That is a show that I don't like. Okay, go on. Oh, okay. Um, all right. I, so I this falls between... Um, Men in Black in 1997, huge hit. Everyone yeah, loves him. Massive. Do more of that, please. Yes. Uh, and he follows it up. He's like, okay, I will do more of that in the Old West with <laughs> Wild Wild West. Mm-hmm. And I think, listen, we're not going to be the ones to unravel the saga of the Wild Wild West, but we, have, let's just say. Have any other was... movie podcasts tried, I wonder? Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Uh, one of the biggest flops and certainly almost... For any other director, a career ender. 
Yes. Uh, but somehow he he's able to bounce back a, a little bit, and he decides, okay, that didn't work. Let's go back to the criminal roots, you know, or get Shorty success with um, another kind of irreverent uh, crime comedy, uh, caper comedy, if you will, uh, with Big Trouble, ensemble uh. crime comedy. And <laughs> he's completely derailed by 9-11. And yeah, and even if he wasn't derailed by 9-11, which very famously got this movie's release date booted from September 21st to, like, April 2002, where it got zero promotion and came and went out of theaters very quickly, like, this movie still would suck. Even if 9-11 yes. didn't happen, and even if this movie, if the last third of this movie is not almost hilariously germane to the events of 9-11... Uh, this is still just crap. Like he, he, he made, he, he was falling off of a cliff with wild, wild west and he reached out for a handhold and that handhold was just made out of dust and tapioca and it just came apart (laughs) in his hands. And he, and he he plunged into (laughs) RV and nine lives. (laughs) Well, that's not true because, you know, just like any other, you know, white male in Hollywood, you, you. You never fail until your next project. And so after this, he gets Men in Black 2. Yeah. Which yeah, is okay. a, a success. It's yeah, it's a return to true. you know box office for him. And that gets him the ability to do RV, which he drives off a cliff. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Fair. Fair. It was going to happen eventually. He, Men in Black 2 was alleged that he bounced off of on his way down. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, his his way down into a very doubtless lucrative and stable career directing episodes of prestige TV shows. So, well, well I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's what I was just going to say is like after RV is plunging off the cliff, he bounces into TV land for about six years until he comes back for uh, Men in Black 3, which is not a good film by any stretch of the imagination, but it is successful. Uh, in the box office. So yes, yes, it's just he's one of these guys who is who given the reins of IP and then, you know, because of the built in success of that, he's giving more given more opportunity. Uh, I, I am I. Am I am I announcing here on Groundwork that Barry Sonnenfeld is, uh, you know, the beneficiary of white privilege in Hollywood? Uh, maybe. Yes. I I mean I mean well okay yeah but I don't think any more so than like Tim Allen a man who is immeasurably less talented than Barry Sonnenfeld is at his chosen art form who has who has completely fucked up so many more things. Uh I, I don't know. I, I just know, what, I, I, what, I mean that's that's our bias being put on it. I don't what? think he's ever actually we, fucked anything up we talked, I mean, about, we talked about all these stinker ass movies that completely ate shit that he made over the course well, of like a decade post home improvement yes, and yet continues but, to get offered stuff now hold on let's take a look at this because we've been we talked about that in 2006 this movie comes out in 2002 let's mm-hmm. place this in tim allen's film filmography so okay. uh home improvement ends 1999 yes what has he got in uh, under his belt at that point he's uh, got Toy Story? Two Toy, Toy Story, Story movies. Two he's huge got hits. Galaxy Quest. Yes. Um, he's got the Santa Claus, the first Santa Claus movie. I mean, yeah. you can see why he's a huge success. Yeah, uh, and we sure. talked about after 1999, he takes a bit of a pause. Uh, he does an indie film called Who is Cletus Tout? 
which which was set to debut at film festivals that but then got canceled because of 9/11. So that's that's Tim Is Allen 9/11 disaster one. Yeah, that's that's true. Look look it up. Look that shit up. Wiki that shit. It's it's an actual thing. It was supposed so, to debut uh, well, at the Toronto Film Festival in September, like mid September 2001. Okay, so I, I'm just saying, going into this movie, he he really hasn't fucked anything up. He hasn't had a, a, a failure at the box office yet. Uh, if anything, he's turned a movie like Galaxy Quest, a movie that probably didn't have much uh, uh, fanfare from marketing going into it, thinking it'd you know just be a middling success, and turns it into a kind of a big success. Would we, would we put that on Tim and not Sigourney Weaver or Alan Rickman? Well, yeah, I would. I, I mean, that's who they're pushing. Hope. He's the lead of the... I, listen, I, who's actually doing the heavy lifting in the movie is completely different than who are they hanging the marketing off of. Uh, okay, fa- and, and look, fair point, fair point. What I'm saying, though, is just that after this movie... Like, the early 2000s were not really kind to Tim Allen. Like, if, well, okay, if that implies that he's the... Vi- I'm just saying he headlined a bunch of real stinker movies and, and continues to have a career... Barry Sonnenfeld directed some real stinker movies and continues to have a career, but he also has a much better success rate of just... Like, he's also directed a bunch of hit movies more recently than Tim Allen has headlined a big hit movie. I don't know well, also why we're why we're pitting Barry Sonnenfeld and Tim Allen against I, each other. Yeah, the they, they aren't comparable, but I, I, I think we do Tim Allen dirty a lot on this show, and I'm just trying to g- give credit where credit's due, where the facts are. I mean, Big Trouble... Joe... Okay... 9-11 really did a number on Tim Allen's career. And and that was the only victim. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, not Joe a big somebody, He has three movies derailed by 9-11. Uh, it, they hated our freedom to watch Tim Allen movies. It, it's, it, it, so those three movies, I, I mean, it's almost like in another world, if you had given it a proper marketing strategy for those, like, who knows what would have happened. But he comes back the next year in 2002 with The Santa Claus 2, another gigantic hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, we get into the the questionable area that we've spent so much time in, Christmas with the Cranks, the Shaggy Dog, Zoom, and but then comes back with Santa Claus 3. So, like... We're just talking about where he is at this movie, and I think that you can't fault Tim Allen or the studios for thinking Tim Allen is a bankable star here. Oh, oh okay. You, you know what? You're right. I, I will withdraw my petition to the International Criminal Court and uh, and will pursue the matter no further. <laughs> Was this movie— Now, if you want to talk about other things, I, I'm happy to gripe about Tim Allen till the you know cows come home, but— uh, I think in that particular instance, we, we we have to go by the facts. Okay, okay, fine. Let let's go. Let's go by the facts about the writers of this movie. How about that? Can we do that? Okay. Can we? Yeah. Can, let's can we do give that. some credit to the writers for once. We do talk about writers a lot on this show. Um, too much. Let's talk about the screenplay first, and I'm hoping that uh, one of these writing credits will go into your personal reflections, and we'll we'll talk about this huge cast as we go through the movie because it's impossible to do it yes. uh, all at once. So yeah. Um, okay. Uh, we've got one screenwriter credited as Matthew Stone. Um, he's directed a lot of movies I'm familiar with and are interested in, but have never watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, the David Oello uh, film Gringo from a couple years ago, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2018. Um, Life with Martin Lawrence and Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Those are two that I'm interested in. He has a big stinker with the Coens with uh, Intolerable Cruelty. 
Yes, which seems to have been getting a critical reappraisal in recent years, but not one strong enough to get me to watch it. It's kind of the redheaded <laughs> stepchild of the the Coen Brothers pre No Country oeuvre. Yeah, uh, Soul Men with Sam Jackson and Bernie Mac, and uh, and am I missing something? Big Trouble. And, oh, Man of the House. And. It came out in <laughs> what 1995. Am I missing? 95. In which a radio, radio is turned on by Destiny, played by Quentin Tarantino. Oh, f- oh Do you, is God. this is this wait, Landon, did you not know about Destiny Turns on the Radio? No, I I've oh. I've omitted it from my memory. <laughs> See, okay, look, folks at home, Destiny Turns on the Radio, I, I think it's so crucial that we talk about this because because Big Trouble only exists because of the the just surge in post-pulp fiction 90s kind of like, hey, it's a violent crime thriller, but it's a black ensemble. comedy too, and it's got an ensemble, and people talk in a kind of deadpan idiosyncratic way, and there's pop culture references, and, and oh man, can you believe all this wacky stuff, and they're going to Vegas, you know, the, just kind of... Yeah, that, the same vibe as Pulp Fiction, everyone trying to shoot and recapture that magic and largely missing. Destiny Turns on the Radio was kind of like the poster child for that to the point that they've got uh, basically Quentin Tarantino playing an otherworldly figure who's narrating the events of the film. The, to see that the writers of this movie then, you know, basically five or six years later, wrote Big Trouble, which is just a later iteration of this same decade-long push to just make make Pulp Fiction clones was really, um, you know, it, it's like coming home to see them back in their same wheelhouse again. Uh, you know what? I, instead, I'm just going to watch Coming Home by Hal Ashby. Yeah, that's, that, sounds, that sounds much better. I don't know um, what that movie's about, so I can't really I can't really do a better a better bit than right, that. I'll loop good. something in in post. Fantastic. Uh, the other credited screenwriter is Robert Ramsey, who looks like uh, was at one point um, a uh, writing partner because he also did uh, Destiny Turns on the Radio, Life, Big Trouble, Intolerable Cruelty, Man of the House, Soulman, uh, and then that's it. But this is based on a oh novel. Is it by ever. Mr. Dave Barry, and I'm going to hand the reins over to you on this one. Uh, I have questions. Um, you last week said that you have read this novel uh, by Dave Barry, and you you are familiar with the man. Uh, you know, it, it's that that is a true thing, Landon. I have, and folks, uh, turning my chair around, sitting on it backwards. It is great to finally be the guy who's able to talk about a book he's read because Landon is <laughs> always reading, and I am almost never reading. So it's cool to drop that I've read a great work of literature like Big Trouble. I so I, basically, I had wanted to see this movie when, like, it was getting very heavily promoted. The movie Big Trouble uh, mm-hmm. in two thousand one, which is I, w- I was in middle school, uh, and there were all these ads running for it. I thought it looked so funny. And then in 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 September, something happened, and suddenly I wasn't thinking about Big Trouble as much. But later on down the line, I, I kind of like remember thinking, like, yeah, whatever happened to Big Trouble? I the movie wasn't really accessible or available, and I was looking for a new book to read. I saw that it was by Dave Barry, and so. I basically, I think actually I put it on a Christmas list or something, and actually the girl I was dating at the time got it for me as a gift. Um, And I read it, 
And I remember at the age of, I mean, let's see, by this point I was in high school. I was like a sophomore or junior in high school. By the time I read it, you know, I read it, I finished it, I put it down. It was kind of like, yeah, that was a book. It's definitely not a good book. <laughs> like even as like a, as a teenager who did not have particularly great taste, I think, like reading reading the book, I was kind of like, oh, so yeah, it seems like uh, Dave Barry was he, like, it seems like he saw Pulp Fiction and liked it a lot and was trying to kind of recapture the vibe of that movie or perhaps the movie Get Shorty, which came out four years before the the book was written. <laughs> it's the the thing about this movie, Big Trouble, and and I I hope that I'm not cannibalizing my personal reflections too much. No, but just, I want you to go. The, the, this movie is not good, and the script for it is not good. It feels like something that was written in a weekend, and there's kind mm-hmm. of like, I, I think that the first 20 or so minutes of the movie are kind of like a fun setup, and then the movie just does the same thing over and over again, and yeah. kind of just spins itself out. Well, which, I have a question for you on that, which yeah. is, I, my my gut while watching it, because I have, it, that's exactly right, what you said, it was... I, I wasn't sure since you read the book if there is more to the story that was edited out in the wake of 9/11 and it just being a kind of hack job uh or you know with with some reshoots just to make it all stitched together um or you know is this the story you know what are I mean do you remember you know 20 years later I, well, no, I mean, the thing is, I, I largely do. I didn't go back and reread the book or anything for this, because why the hell would I? But no, no, this is the thing. It seems like this was either written in one weekend or, or cut to death in the wake of 9-11. It's less than 90 minutes long. It's like 86 minutes. Yeah. But what you see on screen is pretty much what happens in the book. It follows the plot of the book pretty closely. And mm-hmm. is, is, the book, is the book rated R? is the book rated r i don't i mean no honestly no no the book is like the the book is less raunchy than this like just in terms of there is not there's not loads of sex in it and not loads of like teenagers talking about squirting and getting a girl wet like that is all hollywood punch-up stuff like the book is uh, in a way, is um, in a way almost kind of like a fairy tale, or it has a more innocent and sweet sensibility. Puggy, in particular, the character played in this film by Jason Lee, comes across like, like Puggy is almost like I, I don't know, I, I, I like like a a divine fool or something like that. Like he's this. <laughs> he, the, the book gets inside Puggy's head more. Puggy is a homeless man who lives in a tree. Uh. And the book gets into his head, and, and and he's like a weird little goofy dude who feels way more like a Louise Guzman character, and then instead they've cast Jason Lee to hmm. just play him as a blank slate. I, it's it's just this. The book is not terribly good. The movie's not good. The book's not terribly good. The book is better than the movie. But really, the biggest thing from it is just like, oh, okay, so this is Dave Barry's first novel after leaving his job at the Miami Herald, where he was a humor columnist. So okay. it's basically fan fiction about Dave Barry pretending that he like stops a nuclear bomb from destroying Miami and fucks Rene Russo. (laughs) So male wish fulfillment uh, yet again here on grunt work. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Weird how we keep coming back to that. You touched on it a little bit, but I, my, I have questions about Dave Barry. I've never, I think this is the only uh, Dave Barry thing I've experienced in my life, but he's a name that I remember seeing a lot. 
for one specific reason, when I would go to Borders or uh, oh yeah, Walden Books <laughs> in the mall, uh, I would go straight to the humor section because that's where they also kept the Garfield books. Damn right, and true literature. <laughs> I would see Dave Barry's books there a lot, and I'm like, "Who the fuck is this guy? Why is he a what's what's a humorist?" Uh, <sighs> and so, but I've never known what his deal was. He, so, can you regale us with a little bit of who the fuck is Dave Barry? I I mean, I can't say that I read a lot of like his the the humorist work that he did before he transitioned into writing novels, but it's like I, I think I've read a couple of his pieces, and honestly, it's 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 coffee mug humor it's it's your dad forwards you an article humor it's mm-hmm. it's borowitz report grade humor <laughs> so, it's, so associating it's, him with the far side is not terribly incorrect in my brain I mean, it's a bit of a slam on the far side. I don't think he's as good as the far side. I don't want to suggest, by the way, Dave Barry has won a couple of Pulitzer Prizes. He's not a bad writer by any means. And I've I've read nothing to indicate that he is a bad person or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He just was like, he wrote kind of, you know, like... Just kind of eye-rolly. Well, I mean, just, it's like, he, he just, it, his humor is just kind of a lot of wry observations about Americana and kind of whatever that was being written in like the mid 90s early 2000s so like just sort of like it's not anything that was particularly groundbreaking or revelatory but a lot of people liked it and his book got Uh his columns for the Miami Herald would get compiled into books that would get released and sell well at brick and mortar bookstores which were popular at the time well Um, he, he found a niche that's for sure yeah, and I mean, and, and well, listen. When he won his Pulitzer Prize for commentary, an award that that neither Landon nor I has been given, so take all of our comments here with a grain of salt. <laughs> Yet, or that was, I've told you. I, that's that's true. That's true. Both both could be both both could be true. Um, he was credited for his consistently effective use of humor as a device for presenting fresh insights into serious concerns and. To, to be fair, the book Big Trouble, written in 1999, does raise some serious concerns about the state of airport security. So, <laughs> so maybe if we listen, where's his, where's his Pulitzer? He was very prescient with this. Well, I mean, he he has one. In fact, he might have two. So, like, it, he are you saying he should get a third one for basically predicting 9/11? Yeah, exactly. And yet, and yet, he did nothing to stop it. Fascinating, fascinating. <laughs> Maybe that maybe this Dave Barry fellow isn't as isn't as anodyne as we think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, okay, we spent fifteen minutes on Dave Barry. Uh, let's. What do you say we get into this movie? I I, I would also I, one last fact on Dave Barry. Oh. Uh, one of his one of his books before this, one of his nonfiction you know compilations of his columns was just called Dave Barry Turns Forty. It's just it's just it is dad humor and dad yeah. anecdotes and dad observations. Okay, I, I forgot to mention, and I haven't gone into my personal reflections, though they are pretty identical to yours, it, it, with the exception that you read this book. I was in the theater seeing this movie. Oh, oh, Landon, you, wow. That, talk talk about a, a, so wait, did you, so you saw it in like April 2002, yep. you were able to get in there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was probably one of the, you know, rural uh, theaters they dumped this into just to make some sort of profit because they'll go see anything with, you know, a TV star in the lead role. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I I was a huge Tim Allen fan and uh, was excited to go see it. And I remember walking out of it liking it. 
Now, were you, now this is coming, you know, less than a year after 9-11, were you, like, at all kind of triggered or put off by the generous amount of 9-11 relevant stuff happening in this movie? Unlike the young Truman Caps, uh, which maybe it was just growing up in a different era, or maybe it's specific to my my particular upbringing, I was ignorant of everything in the world. So, to me, Man. this is just a big movie happening. Okay, okay. You you did you did know about 9/11, right? Like that's I did. Not, yes. Yeah, okay, okay. You were aware that it happened. Okay, <laughs> but good. I I lived in complete ignorance uh for most of my uh well, probably till I moved to LA to be honest with you. And met me, of course, of course. Thank you, you Landon. You opened my eyes to the world. <laughs> I I sat you down and said, "Landon, let me tell you about 9/11." Um <laughs> Okay, so but so you you came out you you came out of the movie liking it. Did you see it again before before now? Uh, I must have. Yeah, I I think I probably would have rented this. Would have easily been a pizza movie, but wow. I, you know it. Not many times. You know, it's probably been. See, if this came out in two thousand early two thousand two, I probably would have rented it in two thousand three. I probably haven't seen it. In, 20 years so yeah mm, mm. what what a difference 20 years makes huh uh yeah uh yeah yeah what so what do you, i mean do you have yeah what what i mean what else did this bring up what, what what do you feel well i mean like uh confusion there's a lot of confusion how do mm. you get a cast this big you know i think and I can't wait to go into it. In fact, let me just, because I'm afraid we're going to, there's so many moving parts to this that we're going to skip over characters who aren't that important. Sure. I want to just give a, a quick cast rundown. Yeah, let's go through it. Yeah, yeah, no, okay. go for it. Uh, in the lead role, question mark in parentheses, uh, Tim Allen. Yes. Uh, Rene Russo. Uh, yep. playing his love interest slash wife of Stanley Tucci, yep. who's the construction baron that you mentioned. Yep. Uh, Tom Sizemore and Johnny Knoxville playing a pair of really dumb criminals. Uh, um, these these criminals are so dumb, you guys. You would not even believe <laughs> how much they helped the movie by being dumb. I, I want I want to play the trailer game with you in this episode. Uh, okay, cause okay. I remember it. the trailer to a degree, I but watching this again, I'm like, every scene feels catered to a, a trailer. Uh, yes, a movie made entirely of trailer clips. Uh, Dennis Farina and Jack Kaler playing <sighs> a pair of hitmen. Dennis Farina basically playing the same character he didn't get shorty, although he doesn't punch a woman in the face in this movie. Okay, well, so we're moving in the right direction. Uh, Janine Garofalo and Patrick Warburton playing a pair of police officers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ben Foster and Zoe Deschanel and DJ Qualls playing uh, a trio <laughs> of teens who get in trouble with a game they're playing called Killer. It, it's 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 so weird to me, if I may, when, like, I, it took me so long watching this to realize, oh, fuck, that's Zoe Deschanel. It's, it's weird for me to picture Zoe Deschanel ever being, like, a teenager, like, just because I just know her. <laughs> I first became aware of her in, like, 500 Days of Summer, New Girl, uh-huh. stuff like that. She's like, oh, she's always been the cute, quirky 20-something who guys are having crushes on. And it's like, no, she was a... She was a cute deadpan teenager who guys were being creepy to. <laughs> uh, in a stunning revelation to me, I did not remember that Heavy D is in this, uh, pay, playing a, an FBI agent along with Omar Epps. Yep. 
And then Omar, in a pair yeah. of uh, in a couple of one-offs, we have Jason Lee uh, playing a long-haired hippie named Puggy. Also, that would have been a hundred percent the reason I would have been excited for this movie. I was in a major Jason Lee phase at that time. I mean, look, I watched a lot of My Name Is Earl. I really like Jason Lee, even though he's a Scientologist. I think he's very talented. This movie <laughs> does not effectively utilize Jason Lee no. at all. It does not. Uh, in her first uh, introduction to American movies and TV, Sophia Varaga, Vera, Vera, Vergara. Vergara, Vergara, Jesus fucking Christ, Vergara, <laughs> is uh, plays the the live-in help to Stanley Tucci. Yeah, and and, and her and her character, it's a totally cool role. Nothing, prob- I have no issues with anything that happens with her in this movie. <laughs> well, not necessarily with her character, but with what happens. Yeah, and then. I'm going to tip my hand here. Maybe the best character in the movie uh, playing twins. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have <laughs> inept security at um, a mall and a very adept security at the airport. Uh, Andy Richter is playing I, a pair of twins. This was such a magical period of time when Andy Richter was trying to have a film career. Like, yes. you got this and his little bit part in Elf, and you'll just be watching a movie, and it's like, oh, it's Andy! I love him! He's always funny! And uh, a cameo, who we'll mention, I'm sure, at some point. But um, that that's our cast. Uh, it is stacked. I think this is our biggest ensemble movie. Oh, yeah, I said Ben Foster. This is our biggest ensemble movie we've done yet in yes. terms of the sheer amount of names. And they're all at different points in their career. Some are coming off of huge TV shows like Seinfeld and Home Improvement. Mm-hmm. Some are at the top of their stand-up game like Janine Garofalo. Some are, you know, in the middle of their career like Dennis Farina who's just, you know, like he did Snatch the year before. Uh, yeah. And he's, you know, been doing all these cop roles all the way back to Michael Mann's Thief and – so, and Stanley Tucci, it's kind of a weird place in his career. He'd been playing this type of character for so long, but he's also, since the mid-90s, been doing kind of indie stuff on his own, like Big Night. So, oh, it's... So many uh, thoughts about the Tucci in this movie. Yeah. So, just so a weird... This is a weird amalgamation of a movie that... I, this movie's more like an artifact than it is a, a cinematic experience. Yeah, yeah. It's it's something that you find in Pompeii, like frozen in time, you know? <laughs> I, I, I mean, if you look it, at 9-11 it is, as Pompeii. It is. It's it's the 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 statue, the, the ash statue of the person masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and a speech bubble that is in ash, which is them making a joke about getting wet or squirting. Uh, oh, God. I, I think that, um, yeah, you texted me that this is the most 2001 movie ever made, and I, I yeah. really, I, I have to, I have to agree with you. It, it, it is more 2001 than the movie 2001. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You're right. It is. Um, should we get into this, though? Because there's, it's not a long movie, but there's so many moving parts, I feel like it's going to get confusing and long to talk about. Yes, absolutely. Let's, uh, let's get into it. So... We start out, the very first thing we see, uh, well, the first thing we see are some opening credits that use the Hudsucker proxy font, and I got excited, and then, uh, uh, then... Aping another thing from the Coens. Uh, yes, honestly, a thing that I had to double check to make sure, wait, did Barry Sonnenfeld do the DP work on that? No, he did not. He was directing at that point. I should know that about the Hudsucker proxy. 
First thing we get is Puggy, played by Jason Lee, long-haired hippie, talking to us about the story that's about to unfold and how he's going to let his friend Elliot tell it, because for most of it, I was locked in the trunk of a police car, and he's eating Fritos while he says all this. We then... This movie's uh, sponsored by Fritos. I know, there's so much Frito content in this movie, and Fritos, if they don't have chili on them, sincerely mid. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we then we, we then smash cut to Tim Allen as Elliot. Uh, he is right. Wait, wait, a, wait. I, I, hold on. I don't mean to derail wow, us, but. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm stuck on this chili thing. Yeah. If they don't have chili on them, like, are you using Fritos to scoop up chili or. Okay. Because I've only seen you put Fritos on top of chili. So it wouldn't I, it be chili under them. Chili under them. Well, I mean, now listen. If if you're if you're doing it at my house, you've got the the Fritos. You put them in your bowl and then you ladle the chili on top. I will also put the Fritos on top of the chili. <laughs> you, I will. This, what are you are you eating Fritos like some sort of heart stopping sodium bomb cereal? Well, no. I mean, I using, I, I, using chili as milk. I, well, I mean, I guess when you put it that way, it sounds bad. I've got a spoon. I mean, they're just part of the garden, but they go, they soak up, they soak up the flavor. I don't know what's weird about this. You're making me self-conscious about my food, Landon. This is totally normal. What? I mean, you, if you if you put them if you put them on top, I mean, I mean, I yeah. guess the argument is that they're they're crispier if you keep the Fritos on top. But if you yeah. put them at the bottom, they soak up all the chili, and they got like these these mushy like flavor bombs. <laughs> but the, your stomach's there to soak up the chili. You put the chili in your mouth, and you eat it, and it tastes good. Yeah, but I mean, but but are we not entitled pleasure? <laughs> Can we not find what? joy in new mouthfeels? <laughs> I mean, yeah, if soggy Fritos is your favorite mouthfeel. I, I mean, okay, I'm sorry. I'm not here to criticize your chili eating habits. I uh, mean, uh, okay. I, well, okay. I guess we're we're kicking off a four hour long episode because we have to get the the chili debate out of the way first. I don't know, man. I thought you were uh, you talk all the time about how much chili you make. I thought I, I thought do, this yeah. was this is a normal thing. I'm suddenly realizing that my upbringing may have been strange in some ways. I hate Fritos. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that. So, you know, okay. whatever, whether they're on top or on the bottom, I just don't, will not consume them. So, you all know, right. I, I probably shouldn't be talking. Yeah, wait, yeah, they don't criticize my Frito eating if you don't like them at all. <laughs> I just said they were mid without chili. God. This this movie's got us at each other's throats. We are truly, uh, we are truly getting into big trouble right out of the gate. <laughs> oh, God. Go ahead. Okay, well, just excuse me while I put my psyche back together. So we meet (laughs) Tim Allen's character. He runs a small ad agency. He is getting yelled at by a client who does not like the advertisement that he's put together for this guy's beer company. Tim Allen, then blame him. Did you see the advertisement? The advertisement is very bad. And as someone who works at an ad agency and frequently comes up with very bad ideas for advertisements, even I think this is a bad idea for an advertisement. (laughs) I've been doing graphic design for close to 20 years now, and this is, like, the fact that they thought they could even get away with this in a movie as someone who owns... Like, he's this is not an ad agency. He's running some sort of operation. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a pump and dump scam. Like, I have more questions about how he got this one client, this very angry, <laughs> irate man... Very sweating profusely, man. which uh, sweating profusely, screaming at Tim Allen, and we're like looking at him like front on, like he's yelling straight at the at the camera about how this is a terrible ad for his beer brand because it's called like Big Hook Lager and it's got this 
yeah, the picture, the the ad that Tim Allen has made is like a fish with a hook in its mouth, going like, "Oh, this sucks." I don't know. I don't even it's, remember what it was. It, he didn't even make an ad. He took a picture of a fish with a with a hook in its mouth and just put the worst font and the worst placement over top of it. Yeah, graphic design is his passion. I I, I think. I'm gonna say, like, just since we're getting a little bit into it, like, in in this at this point, I'm like, I think this might be the best movie we've done because it's like, <laughs> it it's very like this this opening monologue from Puggy has been kind of goofy and offbeat, and then we've got this. The first thing we see is this man, his face just dripping with sweat, the sweat cascading off of his face onto his shirt, yelling right at the camera. It's very goofy Barry Sonnenfeld stuff. And it's also relevant to my life experience as, as someone who works at an ad agency and frequently makes things that makes the clients angry. But like <laughs> I'm I, like I'm thinking like okay this this is good this seems like a good time. But then Tim Allen jumps in and starts narrating about his life. All right, Let, let's talk about that real quick. I want to switch gears because yes. I'm this movie, as far as the storytelling devices go, confuses shit out of me. Yeah, this movie is being told to us by Puggy who yes. we see in the tree at the beginning talking directly to the camera. Yes. But then we transition to seeing Tim Allen in his office being, you know, belittled by this client, and suddenly the narration goes over to him, and he's telling us the story. Yeah, and he continues to for the rest of the movie. We never hear anybody else jump in again. So what the fuck, Puggy? I, why 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 did they give us any puggy up front? All I can assume is that they they delivered their final cut and the studio was like, guys, the movie can't be the movie can't be 84 minutes long and can you add <laughs> two or three more minutes to it otherwise it's going to look like we made a mistake here. Um Fritos will pay for it. <laughs> so, but there's this whole flashback about how Tim Allen used to be a multiple Pulitzer Prize uh, award-winning columnist at the Miami Herald until he got in a fight with his shitty boss shortly after his he caught his wife cheating on him and kicks his boss's computer. Um, which is like staking out very much like this uh, d- divorced dad territory for this movie. Just like th- this is again very much kind of the wheelhouse of the sort of person who who reads uh, Dave Barry and holds him in high regard. I, I, I have to admit, since I was talking about Dave Barry earlier and took a deeper glance at his Wikipedia page, I see that he's written a lot about how great libertarian politics are. So now I feel a lot better about dunking on him as sucking <laughs> and, and having divorced dad energy. Um, so anyway, uh, Tim also uh, takes uh, – so yes, he's given that flashback. He got fired from from the newspaper, and he started his own ad agency. Um, terrible choice. The most miserable people I've met in my life are men who started small ad agencies. And then he gets a call from his son who wants to borrow the car that night. His car is a Geo. So many jokes are made out of this car being a Geo. I don't understand this either. I, I, he seems to be successful to a degree. I mean, yes. he gets fired, of course, but – and there's the divorce, but why a geo? Like it, it just there's no character reason for it. It's just like we need a car to dunk on through the course of this movie, so that's what he's going to end up with. I, it's it's uh, that also feels so much like a 2001 thing, like the same way Christmas with the Cranks had a Botox scene in it. It's just like. <laughs> This yeah. the, this is the thing that Jay Leno's been making jokes about for six months. It was like with this one, it's like Jay Leno's been making jokes about the Geo Metro for six months. So let's put that <laughs> car in it. The the 
best I can say about it is it, this is the first movie we've watched where Tim Allen is never near a muscle car at all. He's driving that's the crappiest true. car. Maybe that's what felt so weird about it. So his son borrows the car that night, goes to uh, the house of his school acquaintance, Jenny, uh, who lives with her rich parents, Stanley Tucci and Rene Russo. Stanley Tucci is a very bad person. Uh, Rene Russo has blonde hair. Uh, and uh, Tim Allen's son hops over the fence with a squirt gun, and because he's playing this game called Killer that's going on at school where they get the name of someone and they have to squirt them with a squirt gun. At the same time, a pair of hitmen played by Dennis Farina and uh, whoever the hell else the other guy was are also at the house trying to kill uh, uh, Jenny's dad. Puggy, the homeless guy who has come down to uh, Miami in search of good Cuban food, I'm not really sure why, is sitting in the tree outside of Jenny's house. And all of these forces kind of come together at the same time. The hitmen try to shoot Stanley Tucci. The kids, uh, Tim Allen's son, tries to run in and squirt her, but they get, uh, they get tackled by Rene Russo. Uh, the maid, played by Sofia Vergara, goes running outside. There's some other stuff to go into there that needs a lot of prefacing. <laughs> and there's just this big chaotic moment where the TV gets shot and the hitmen are running away, but Puggy tackles one of them. And just all these different people come yeah. together in a big, goofy uh, conflagration so, at the house. This is where the movie, I think, falters from the get-go. Is This is a situation that should be... A lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I think this is where these types of movies really succeed is once you see all of these disparate elements start to affect one another, uh, sometimes coincidentally, sometimes not, you know, you can kind of question that tapestry of, you know, is there a universe that a plan for the universe that's bringing this all together? Was this meant to happen this way? Yeah. Or, you know, just is this pure chaos, coincidence, nihilism, etc.? Uh, but because this happens so early, we really only get one introductory scene of all of these characters mm-hmm. uh, before that happens that I'm like, I'm not invested in anyone, and I don't feel like you've earned this kind of tying together of all these things yet. Yeah, yeah. I I was having fun through this scene. I was kind of like, okay, I know that this isn't a good movie, but so far it's like, okay, you're setting all the things up. It's all happening by total random chance and coincidence. Okay, it's dumb, but what, like, it was, I, it, I was enjoying the ride up until now. And, and th- this is, this is, is, you know, basically this, this first iteration of all these characters bumping into each other and a bunch of chaos happening is the best one because it keeps getting worse as it goes. Yeah, well, I guess that's true. Um, and I guess I could use that same criticism I just hurled at the end of this movie, which is like, by the time everything is coming together at the end of this movie, I should care more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't. But I, I do feel like they're rushing through things a little bit too much here. At a at an hour and 25 minutes, like, they could have taken a little bit more time up top to develop these characters. Like, we are introduced, and I'm going to go right there, and we're just going to get this over with. We're introduced to Sofia Vergara in her bedroom. <laughs> yes. Uh, with Stanley Tucci coming in. Well, I mean, Rene Russo kind of dismisses her for the night and, you know, she goes to, goes to her bedroom and Stanley Tucci sneaks in and um, basically mouth fucks her foot uh, against her consent. Yeah. Y- yes. He, uh, he does. I, 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 difficult 
the awful noises that I'm going to make trying to talk about this, he, I, the, we, I, the first appearance that we get of Stanley Tucci is him barging into her room while she, you know, while Sofia Vergara is in her, her nightgown or whatever. And my first thought is, oh, hell yeah, Stanley Tucci. I love Stanley Tucci. He's such a great actor. I love Big Night and The Imposters so much. These films are so great. This movie is bad, obviously, but I'm excited to see what he does. And the first thing he does is he's making these very amorous advances on her. She's clearly frightened of him and put off by him. And then he starts giving her a foot massage, even though she's saying, please don't. And then he very graphically spreads her toes apart and starts performing cunnilingus on her toes. And and, and at one point says, you know, you have to because you work for me. Yeah, he says, yeah, you live in, you, you know, you live in my house. You have to do that. Like, so it is, on its face, it is a set of incredibly just disturbing images of just his tongue running all over her feet and, and him, ver- and, and him, God bless Stanley Tucci. I mean, he is he is putting his whole ass into this movie. He is yeah. fully hamming it up in this character of this awful man, and he is fully licking the hell out of that I've, foot. I've never seen Stanley Tucci half-ass anything. He he commits fully. I, this puts me in mind a little bit. I said he kind of has played these characters before, and I don't know why. It's certainly a different character, but he in undercover blues with Dennis Quaid and Kathleen <laughs> Turner. He plays this criminal uh, who keeps trying to one up them and always gets his ass handed to them uh, yeah. to him. And yeah. he fully commits to that too, even though it's kind of an ethnic stereotype, but he's game to be made a fool of. And yes. I, I kind of commend him for that. I, I it's a testament to the Tooch that I think despite how despicable he's is in this movie, He's still, you know, I still come out liking him a lot. I, I, Not his character, but him. No, yeah, you you think his character is uh, is the good guy in the film? Yeah, I uh, no, I no, I mean, I agree. He comes out. I come out of this just feeling like God bless, man. I hope you spent the money you made from this on you know some delicious Italian food that you talked about in one of your <laughs> CNN specials twenty years later. I also having just read a book that he wrote about his life through food and gourmet stuff and fine restaurants and fine dining and cooking, like thinking about his very refined palate and then thinking about him licking Sofia Vergara's feet. It's just, it's just a real, like I've seen him eat a lot of like good and tasteful things. I, I, I don't know. It's bad. It's just bad. It's also awkward watching a scene and knowing, Oh God, m- millions of people must masturbate to this. Like it means nothing to me, but this is, <laughs> this is probably I even consider that this is right. probably a seminal scene for uh, some very highly trafficked subreddits um so it's gross imagery and then it's gross yeah. on the moral level of he is doing this without her consent and she is like sophia vergara i mean to credit what little performance she has in this like what what little part she has in this movie she's very effectively conveying someone who is frightened and in a horrible situation which just is like that makes it really hard to enjoy <laughs> the movie. 
Yeah, agreed. Um, and, and I think I just want to get this out of the way now, so that I'm not griping yeah. about it through the whole movie. Yeah, all of the women in this movie are treated pretty horribly. Uh, I don't even Real know bad. what Renee Russo does. She's just there I, for I, the I, love interest to Tim she, Allen. She has blonde hair. I mentioned the hair. So that's right. You you yeah. did mention that. I forgot yeah, about that. Go. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Uh, even Zoe Deschanel, who has uh, the most quote unquote personality of the female characters here, does she? Uh, is constantly, you know saying to dj qualls while she walks up or away from them like don't stare at my boobs don't stare at my ass when i walk away are you staring at my ass you know like it's bad and then even janine garofalo who's playing a cop yes gets her shirt ripped open at one point wearing a red bustier and that becomes a plot point between her and her uh, partner the the so this movie, it's like in in the in the world of this movie, the only way that a man can relate to a woman is by wanting to have sex with her, and the only way that a woman can interact with a man is by her either acknowledging and inviting his sexual interest, or I, I, yeah, that's that's basically yes. it. Yeah, yes, that's it. It it's it's gross. It is. Real gross. And the second that we get this Stanley Tucci scene, which happens like right before, you know, the the squirt gun and the hitmen shooting into the house and everything, like this is when I I took a hard turn from I'm liking this to like, nope. <laughs> I, I think it's it's also worth noting, I mean, since we're kind of, you know, here at like an act break. Mm-hmm. Another just big reflection is that I think that this movie, more than any other movie, uh it should be nominated for the Academy Award for Outstanding Achievement in Aging Poorly because, like, we've watched a lot of movies that have aged badly, but ev- yeah. every single aspect of this movie, everything in it has aged badly, ranging from all the 9-11 stuff, which yeah. aged really poorly really quickly within the yeah. release window of this film, to scenes like this one or things like, uh, you know, there's a lot of jokes down the line about federal agents having the legal authority to torture people, and it's just uh-huh. pre- presented as a laugh, to all of the ways that women are treated in this movie and talked about, like... The, uh, the sheer the, amount of silk uh, clothing and the bagginess of them. Uh, yes, yeah, a lot of a lot of Lukes that have not, uh, that have not <laughs> done very well. Um, and, and sort of the also the undercurrent of of overzealous, uh, you know, security guards with guns opening fire on kids holding toy weapons, yeah. uh, just like th- th- this is just and we'll call them out along the way. But this movie is full of 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 moments that have aged like mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> um, I OK, I, I have I wrote one note while watching this movie. The rest of it was all just kind of mental uh, letting it wash over me. But my, my one note I want to bring up here, because it's it's very integral to how this movie is kind of set up. So I'm thinking back at the marketing firm and, and beyond. As every character is introduced, and this continues throughout the whole movie, um, is the, again, 19, or 19, uh, 2001 vibe of, I'm going to pause the camera. I mean, uh. you know, we're going we're gonna to pause on a character in mid- you know, spittle coming out of his mouth uh, as he's yelling, and yeah. we're going to have the main character reflect for a second as we introduce this character. You're probably uh, wondering how I wound up in this situation. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this movie 
is like the takes that to the extreme. Like, hey, bro, I liked I heard you like pauses in your movie, so I put some pauses in your pauses. Yeah, I mean, it's all over the fucking place. Yeah, I would also compare this movie to Zoom in that way, because in the same way that Zoom identified like, hey, kids, you know, you guys like superheroes and actiony stuff. Well, how about Zoom? And and then it's just full of like just dumb, the most basest, you know, kind of like, oh, gross out humor and, and, and stupid jokes. This movie is kind of like, oh, hey, kids, you like uh, quirky independent crime comedies with uh, kind of idiosyncratic editing, right? And then it's just there. And it's just they. They stuffed a bunch of bits and moments from other movies of this ilk into the shape of a new movie and are trying to pass it off as its own thing. Like, there's no, yeah. there's no heart to it. It's just a lot of freeze frame references and voiceover dialogue and, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's the trappings of a movie without anything at the center. Yeah, I think the thing that I find obnoxious about it is like there's just this, hey, look, we're being pithy and it's just kind of obnoxious. Yes. Like you, you think you're more clever and you have something to say more than you do, but this is just a hollow style uh that, you know, I think is in the Tarantino camp and it's just well, kind it, of frustrating. And this is the thing, and far be it for me to try and defend Tarantino to you. I think that Tarantino in his movies, he has something he's trying to say, however dumb it might be. The big fault I would of, love to of, know what that is at some day. I mean, look, and and I, I am not going to fall into the quicksand of two white guys talking about Quentin Tarantino <laughs> on their podcast, even though we already are. I, like, th- those movies at least are about something or there is some premise. With, with Get Shorty, both—not Get Shorty— with Big Trouble, both book and movie, the the premise is basically, hey, remember Get Shorty and Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown and like four or five Elmore Leonard novels and The Big Lebowski? Yeah, it's like that. Like, it's not about anything. It's about just like <laughs> trying to capture the vibe of a bunch of other things that came before it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It is an executive decision that says, hey, you know what? Ensemble comedies work right now. Let's do some of those. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Much like the famous ensemble comedy, Executive Decision. Uh, <laughs> it's a stupid joke. Why did I say that? Um, do do we want to do we want to crack open Act Two? I feel like we have a little bit more. I mean, like this is the problem with this film, and it could take us to a, a four-hour episode, which I don't want. Which is no. It, it bounces back and forth between all of these characters and their situations so much that it's hard to keep track of everything. Because we didn't really talk about Tom Sizemore and Johnny Knoxville in the sure. bar beating the shit out of Puggy. Let's and... talk about that. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. that actually um, that covers yeah a bunch of important plot points that become important like 40 minutes from now. And the Russians we didn't even talk about. So so during this first act, before all the nonsense that happens at the house, we also, we follow Puggy, who has arrived in Miami in search of Cuban food, which he never gets because he seems to only want Fritos. He, he goes to this random dive bar run by a couple of mysterious Russians, and while there, he runs into a pair of criminals played by Tom Sizemore and Johnny Knoxville, Snake and Eddie, and, um, yeah, they, they steal some money from him and then they punch him in the face when he asks for the money back and, uh, the bartenders throw them out, but take a shine to Puggy. Um, th- these two are just, they are, 
it, it's again they're they're like in making this movie or in Dave Barry writing this book and going down the checklist of things you need to have in a '90s crime comedy. It's like oh, gotta have stupid criminals, like comically dumb bumbling crooks. Yeah, and and those guys are them. But why why in this movie? I, I think this is why this movie feels overstuffed. Is like every checkbox that you're if you're calling it that. Why does it have to be two people? Why does yeah, it have to I be know. two criminals? Why does it have to be two hitmen? Why does it have to be two police officers? It's just it's too many people. I I I I think that probably the intent is like they they all need someone to talk to. The idea being that there were going to be all these hilarious crackling dialogue scenes back and forth. I mean, and truthfully, fucking pulp th- fiction. And th- and look, this is the case in the book. Like, I, there's really not any newly invented characters for this movie. Like, the book is, I think it kind of follows these pairs around, and a lot of the book is these people talking back and forth. So, I mean, it, it's, and I guess it works better in a book that can be long enough and probe deep enough into everybody's inner psyche. And believe me, oh, the characters in, in the book Get Trouble were so deep and richly drawn. <laughs> It it just a book that's 125 pages long. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but I really would believe it if it was. It has. It I'm has, gonna look that up. But go ahead. It has big 125 pages long energy. <laughs> um, every yeah, there there's there's two of everybody there. Well, and also the, the fact that the, the two of everybody aspect of it really wears thin, specifically with the hitmen, who spoiler alert spend a lot of the movie kind of. At the edges of what's going on, watching through binoculars or a rifle scope, and just yeah. talking about what's going on and complaining about being in Miami. And now, as someone who hates uh, tropical, humid climates, I can get on board with not liking being in South Florida, but you need more for your character than that. And also, it's just not interesting watching two Goomba New Jersey guys go back and forth so, about like about being bewildered by what's happening we don't need the audience surrogate this movie i think for that the dennis farina of it and the renee russo of it can't exist in this movie without get shorty i feel yes. like they are using shortcuts they shorty are they are they are basically i don't know why i found that funny but I, <laughs> it was not uh, funny that's definitely it was true. not but i found it funny um, thank you it like Dennis Farina is playing the same character, and I feel like you don't need to know anything about him in this because you're no. like, oh yeah, Dennis Farina is doing the Dennis Farina get shorty thing. Dennis Farina is never in a movie playing like a mild mannered accountant who falls in love. He's never playing like a priest having a conflict of 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 faith. Uh, it, it, at least in these, <laughs> I would have of... loved to have seen that though. I mean, look, it, it's just he he had he had a thing. You hire. Look, I think not to reopen this wound. I think the reason that you hire Barry Sonnenfeld to make your movie is because this movie's goofy. He has a reputation for making goofy kinetic movies. You hire uh you hire Dennis Farina to be in your movie because you he has a reputation for being the guy in movies like this. Yeah. Well, and then let's circle this back to Tim Allen, who I feel like has the least personality of anyone in this movie. He does, and it's boy, it's refreshing. After after Cranks, <laughs> which made so much room for him to clown, this movie where it's like there there is we have no time for your bullshit, Tim Allen. We have to go we have to go see what Jason Lee is doing right now. <laughs> it, yeah, it's it's honestly not like and also because he's not really doing jokes or bits, this is the closest thing we're getting to a dramatic Tim Allen performance, which I don't yeah. mind. 
it's so weird. Uh, I would not have called that, but here we are. Um, let's go into Act Two because I think, unless you have more about the Russians and and Tom Sizemore and, the, and Johnny Knoxville, the, the one thing I guess the the Russians who spoiler alert are arms dealers and the the bar is a front. They have bought a gigantic, uh, very heavy metal suitcase out of the back of some guy's van, which. Uh, hey guys, it's a '90s crime comedy. A, we need a MacGuffin. B, it's in a suitcase. C, do we see what's inside that suitcase? Hell no, dog. We just get them looking oh, at that. it and talking oh, about what shit. it is. Um, Ugh. so they buy this thing, which is, I guess we do see it at the end, though. We see it at the end, yeah. So I guess so. It, they're like, but Pulp Fiction, you never see what's in the suitcase. I mean, that, that's just like that's that, that's totally anticlimactic. We got to see what's in the suitcase. That's how you know it's Act Three. <laughs> So they buy they they buy this very heavy thing that's a nuclear bomb out of the back of some guy's uh, van, and they hire Puggy because Puggy is the only one in the movie capable of carrying the nuclear bomb around. He can very easily pick it up. Like, he's the only strong one strong enough to do so. Which is, I honestly like that. That might be one of my favorite bits in the movie, that Puggy's only purpose to the plot is the one who is capable of carrying the MacGuffin around. It's just easy and effortless for him and everyone else cannot even hoist it. There Um, there are, is it because he's pure of heart? There are a couple like weirdly comedic flourishes that don't need to be here and aren't given much attention that I find really, really funny, but they're mostly in act two. Yeah. Um, The only thing I'll say about the suitcase and the bomb is, and this is another indication of it just like, 2001 comedy writing or Mm -hmm. or like uh comedic relief writing in these sorts of movies every single person refers to it as it looks like a garbage disposal (laughs) (laughs) also like when when the when the kids are jumping into the backyard to go squirt the the girl they're like i hope they don't have a dog dog runs up they have a dog and then the hitmen jump into the yard a second later i hope they don't have a dog they have a dog it just oh the the repeated line I wonder how Snatch holds up. I haven't seen that movie in maybe 20 years either. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. That's very much a movie that I watched in college and thought it was awesome, so <laughs> I have concerns. I um, do, too. So, so uh, yeah, let's see. There's there's Russians, there's really dumb crooks. Remember those guys. Uh, and Puggy can lift a very heavy thing. So there's been this whole commotion at the house uh, the cops get called. Uh, they come. They they catch uh, Tim Allen's son. They call Tim Allen. Uh, Dennis Farina has been tackled by uh, Puggy, but then he basically tells Puggy, "Hey, give me my gun back and let me go." And Puggy like just gives him the gun back and lets him go, which. Okay, Puggy. Like, th- th- I-, I would get this more if Jason Lee had been directed to do anything with his part, but he just kind of stands there with a blank look on his face <laughs> the whole movie. I-, I don't know if I said this already, but I really feel like they should have cast Louise Guzman as Puggy. That really is the energy that Puggy has in the book. Uh, uh-huh. I think that's an interesting casting choice. I don't mind. I mean, you're right. He doesn't do anything, but I don't know. I just enjoy Jason Lee's presence. So um, I, I don't really mind it too much. I, I don't. Yeah, I I don't know. Well, I mind it a lot more because also in the process of letting Dennis Farina get away, then he finds that I guess Sofia Vergara somehow got knocked out. She went running out of the house and all the commotion and got knocked out. And so he takes her up into the tree that he's been sleeping in. And then she wakes up in the morning and sees this 
long-haired homeless man who it's been established in earlier scenes does not smell very good and only eats Fritos and just immediately falls completely in love with him. And uh, <laughs> that that's her that's her thing for the rest of the movie. She's in love with Puggy. Yep. Um, it's it's just it's I a, a hot take. Uh, Sofia Vergara is is somewhat attractive. You might even say quite attractive, very beautiful. And to see her like beaming, smiling face at the the ver- the mere presence of just a dude, like a guy is just there and she's completely fall. I don't know. It just it really. Well, she, I mean, when she wakes up, she goes, "Jesus." Oh yeah, because he looks. He's got the long Jesus hair. So. Right. So it's just it's it's not implying that she fell in love with him immediately. It's she fell in love with him because she thinks every man with long hair is Jesus. Yes. And that's where I was wondering if there was something cut out of this movie or if there's more detail in the book of like this kind of ephemeral nature that Puggy has. If he if it's more a little more supernatural in the book than it is here in the movie, because there's like hints of it, but it just doesn't ever go anywhere or do much. It, it it does in the in the book they give yeah puggy is a little bit more like almost mystical and the fact that he is the only one capable of carrying the bomb is like i think they dave barry does a little bit more with that i i remember even as a like 15 year old who desperately wanted a girlfriend and reading this book like where where the beautiful maid falls in love with puggy even as a kid i was like this characterization does not make a lot of sense. Like, I don't really know what she sees in the homeless man living in a tree, but oh, okay, Dave Barry. Okay, America's favorite divorced Floridian. Um, so anyway, the cops get called. They're Janine Garofalo and Patrick Warburton. Uh, Stanley Tucci is being a huge asshole to them. They call Tim Allen to come and pick up his son, who they let go with a warning. Yeah, we covered this. Uh, okay, the TV has been shot. The cops are like, hey, was someone trying to kill you, Stanley Tucci? And nothing is really made of this. Uh, uh, Tim and his son drive back home in the Geo. Uh, his son basically tells him that he thinks he's a huge loser because he's divorced. All the- His son has big Papa Roach energy. <laughs> his son and all the teens in this movie have big written by dudes in their 30s energy just t- teenage <laughs> very rapid fire you know kind of teenage back and forth and vocabulary that does not line up with that age group uh yeah so they they drive they drive back home and then uh i'm i got i'm i'm even i'm even just trying to keep track of everything that goes on in here it's impossible yeah i i mean i almost feel like you can't to a degree uh Rene Russo and Tim Allen have talked some in the process of picking up uh, his son. They have like a a three minute long conversation where she remembers that he used to write a funny column for the Miami Herald and immediately falls in love with him or Mary Sue fan fiction from Dave Barry. And then I guess I guess then we just get to the following day where Tim is at work and and he is showing off the new uh, uh, advertisement to the to the client who is now very happy with it because it has a bikini babe on it. And then Rene Russo comes in as the client is leaving. She's cooked up some excuse to to come into the office like, oh, did you leave your reading glasses last night? I don't have reading glasses. And then they just start hardcore making out. You know, this is just the oversexed life of the retired newspaper columnist. Yeah, and as it goes. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, she 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 comes in and she says to him, you know, during their their minute of small talk before they start making out, 
about how, oh, well, you know, because the, the police don't know who, who fired the bullet, now I'm their lead suspect. And I'm thinking like, ah, I see, Rene Russo's the femme fatale, and she's going to pull Tim Allen back into this. Nope, nope, no, nothing, that's it, that's nothing. Like, it's like, oh, is she the one who hired the hitman because her husband is such an awful, lecherous jerk? No, no, Are the is the movie going to be about the police accusing her? Nope, there's just no more investigation at all. That's That's it. Yeah. I will say, though, that the scene of them making out is pretty funny because it's just very, it is very Barry Sonnenfeld, very, again, kinetic, where they are in all one shot, like, she's, like, pushing him backwards while making out with him, and they're bashing into everything in the office. He's got a cup of coffee in his hand, and he keeps trying to fumble for a thing to set it down on, but he can't, like, he can't ever (laughs) find one, and it's, it's, like... This scene, A, a lot of it made it into the trailer, I remember, and B, it's just fun to watch. Yeah, and I, I will say that to, to Barry Sonnenfeld, like, that he does have a way of choreographing long shots, uh, long takes uh, of things, where, like, uh, I think he does one at the end of this movie, but he certainly does one at the end of Get Shorty, where, you know, sometimes it's distracting, where it's like, oh, so this this shot is starting on Gene Hackman and Bette Midler and Kim mm-hmm. Shorty, not this movie. Yeah, um, that would be and huge. They walk casting. and talk. Yeah, they walk and talk, and someone wipes by the camera, and suddenly we're following them, and they do a circle, and then we end up, uh, you know, kind of on a crane going, you know, far and away, and uh, we see in the background that Gene Hackman and Bette Midler are still there talking, and it's like, oh, so they had to be on set all day for this annoying shot for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it looks great for the you know the audience and the final product. Yeah, yeah. I, again, that is that is what sets this. Uh, there are there are a bunch of shots throughout this movie that genuinely look cool, and I appreciate them being yeah. there. And uh, you could you could cut together. There is thirty seconds of good content in this movie, and it's just it's just yes. cool shots and interesting setups. Um, uh, I want to get to to. Um, Two things in the second act, even though we haven't really synopsized it, uh, that I found really, really funny. Yeah. Um, Well, I can... Okay. Well, yeah. uh, Look, the the basics, they make out there at school, uh, Jenny, daughter of Stanley Tucci, goes up to Tim Allen's son and says, hey, since you got to squirt me, I'm going to be outside the gap at the mall tonight at eight o'clock. Come and squirt me there. A bunch of... Can we talk about the game they're playing called Killer? The, the game that they're playing, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, we, we mentioned offhand that, yes, this is a game the kids are playing where you get the name of someone, you have to squirt them with a squirt gun. Do you want to talk about Killer now? Nope, that's all I needed to talk about Killer. Just kids running around shooting each other. Don't think about it too much. Uh, but then, so then that night, they are at the mall to do it as they're in the process of squirting her. Uh, I hate that I have to keep saying it because, trust me, the characters in the movie make a lot of hay out of that that joke. Uh, a a drunk security guard, Andy Richter, sees them doing this, pulls out his gun, starts chasing them and shooting. Uh, they go running out into the street. The cops arrive. Uh, uh, like the, his Tim Allen's son's friend gets arrested as well as um, as well as the security guard, and then the cops are taking them back to uh, back to Jenny's house. And meanwhile, Jenny and Tim Allen's son have gone back to Jenny's house and they're there with Tim picking them up. And the hitmen have gone back to Jenny's house to try and kill Stanley Tucci again. And th- then 
at the same time as all this is going on, Stanley Tucci has gone to the Russian arms dealers at the bar because he knows that the reason the hitmen are trying to kill him is because he's embezzling a bunch of money from his corrupt construction company. And so he, for some reason, wants to buy a missile from the Russian arms dealers. They sell him the nuke instead. And then... As this is happening, the two dumb crooks played by Tom Sizemore and Johnny Knoxville just decide to hold up the bar and decide that that Stanley Tucci must be a big well, drug kingpin. Yeah, out of vengeance. I mean, they were made of fools of and hit with an aluminum bat when they... We didn't talk about the the assault they did on uh, Jason Lee earlier well, in the movie, where they we talked him to the, the ground and yeah. kick him repeatedly. Well, the, yeah, yeah, which comes out of nowhere and and goes mm-hmm. on for a minute. It's like when when Dennis Farina punches the the lady in Get Shorty, which is a moment of violence that is just unneeded in that film. Uh, yes, yes, a movie with plenty of other violence in it, um, but. The, the two crooks, they come to the bar, they hold everybody up, they kidnap uh, Stanley Tucci, as well as the bomb, which they don't understand as a bomb, but they think is some kind of super valuable kingpin stuff. They take him, and they also take Puggy, the only one capable of carrying the bomb, back to Stanley Tucci's house, where everybody else has once again converged. That more or less feel like act two to you? More or less. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there, there's no way to. I mean, this is not synopsize and keep track of all these moving parts in this. So I think we're. It's going to be a little bit messy, and I just want to call out a few, a few things and scenes. Uh, and we might have to backtrack to make of things course. make sense. But, of course. Go. Um. Basically, after that first act, you know, everyone comes together, but then goes their separate ways. Yep. Uh. And we start act two, basically just repeating. The same patterns as Act 1, but everyone has a little bit more information. Pulitzer Prize winning writer Dave Barry. <laughs> but one, there are a handful of things that I find really funny. Um, th- there's a scene with Dennis Farina. It makes... It, it could easily have been edited out of this movie, and then they would have been like, but put it back in because we need a runtime. Yeah. Um, where... The, the hit doesn't go off, right? He didn't actually kill Stanley Tucci, so he has to call mm-hmm. back and report and, you know, do all of his hitman stuff. And he's in this alleyway uh, using a payphone. Mm-hmm. There's no rhyme or reason. They don't draw attention to it, but the payphone is, like, three feet tall. It's comically he short. To, he has to crouch to use it, <laughs> and it's really fucking funny to me. Just the concept of that. Uh and that they that they could have made a meal out of that concept and didn't mm-hmm. is even funnier to me. Yes, I wish more films would just inexplicably take a, a mundane thing and make it weird for some reason. This movie occasionally has some really good kind of comic sensibilities and timing and ideas. It occasionally yeah. has the good the good sense to uh, underplay a thing for a laugh. Uh, but. Even when they overplay a thing for a laugh, it can be kind of funny. Like, I found Stanley Tucci in his wig meeting, you know, doing a, a deep throat in the parking garage. Easy now. Uh, to be kind of funny as well. Uh, just the the wig that they chose is so perfectly suited to his hair, I mean, to his head. Yes. Uh, and it, it's feathery and it bounces around like Farrah Fawcett. And, uh, I mean, they they hit it too far on the head when they do a freeze frame with him kind of flipping his hair as he turns away. But um, but then they, they continue it 
where it's like it looks like he, they freeze frame on him like doing a, a hair flip as if it's intentional but then right after it unpauses he walks away and you could tell he's just like flipping his hair out of his mouth because it's itchy and, <laughs> and, and that that part a little performance flourish that made me laugh I, I mean Stanley Tucci just bringing so much to this like I don't think it seems like everyone in this movie is taking it seriously like I don't think there's really bad performances in this no. movie there's a very bad script but yeah ev- everyone yeah. is bringing it but I think Stanley Tucci brings the most of it then there are bad comic sensibilities, like the just trying too hard to have a recurring joke. Yeah. The seatbelt that constantly bumps Dennis Farina's face as he's getting in and out of the car is I, so irritating. I find that more appealing than any than the various callback, you know, dialogue, quote unquote, snappy dialogue bits. Like the fact that Dennis yeah. Farina will be sitting in a car doing a stakeout and will like go to get out of the car and the automatic seatbelt rubs over his face and he just closes his eyes in silent consternation that I enjoy that beat more than having to hear. Yeah. They kill it. I mean, they overdo it. Sure. They kill and overdo everything in this movie. It's (laughs) and, and in, and in just 86 minutes, it's a real, uh, it's a real bonanza. Uh, the, another one that is hit or miss for me. Sometimes it's really funny. And sometimes it's like really still with this is the dog sniffing everyone's crotch. Oh, this I don't get at all. In the first, in the first bit, the first time everybody shows up at the house, the dog gets squirted in the face by a toad that's sitting oh, yeah, on top we of the food bowl. Yeah, we talk about the toad. Bowl. There's this like, pu- it's it's honestly, it's I mean, the toad. Well, the toad in the movie is is real, but like to achieve the effect, they've used a puppet. I don't want people to think there's just yeah. like a puppet toad that's part of the movie. But it is a real dog. It is the dog is real, but the but Tim Allen is fake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you you can tell he's fake because he's uh he's not uh driving a hot rod. Uh but the the dog gets squirted in the face by this toad and it's like, yeah, oh, it's as Tim Allen informs us in voiceover, it's a hallucinogenic toad and so the dog is going crazy. But all the dog really does is it just runs up and sniffs everybody's crotch and it's like dogs just do that. Like yeah. why have a why have why give me the concept of a dog that's tripping balls? If all it's going to do is just regular dog stuff, like first it's it's chasing its tail a lot, <laughs> then it's sniffing everyone's nuts. Those are both things. Either every dog I've ever seen has been squirted in the face by a weird toad, or this is a dumb bit. <laughs> it can't be both. Yeah, I would have loved if it was like trying to play fetch, but every time it brought something over, it was a little more, you know... Uh, uh, hippie paraphernalia. Exactly. Like he brings over a, a lava lamp. He brings <laughs> over, <laughs> you know, a black light poster. Yeah, you know, a copy of a Jack Kerouac just, book. <laughs> what's up with the dog? And he's just sitting there staring at a painting trying to figure it out. <laughs> what's up with the dog? And he's sitting there meditating in the prayer pose from the shaggy oh, no, dog. no, no, no. <laughs> um, the, the dog bit and also the recurring bit of TVs keep getting shot. It's like the, yeah. the hitmen shoot the TV by accident in the first time, and then in, in the next conflagration at Stanley Tucci's house, they shoot his TV again, and when they're when the criminals are holding up the bar, they shoot the TV in the bar, and later they shoot the radio and the police car they've stolen. And it's just like, this isn't even a funny motif, and I don't remember that from the yeah. book. Cool. I, so so there's that look i've got there's i want to i want to I wanna start talking in more in more detail here about about uh the two criminals about okay. um they're, they're not smooth criminals i'll give you that much uh tom sizemore Actually, bef- and, and johnny knoxville 
before you do that, because I think this will give a good context for the criminals, even though we synopsize at length the <laughs> first act of this movie, what is what is this movie about? Like, wh- what is what's what's the plot we're following here? <sighs> this movie's about. Uh... I mean, look, it's, it's it's not about Tim Allen. No, you know, it's really like not. he's just kind of here. He's sort of he reacting. Just kind of finds himself in it. Uh, it's not really about like everyone just kind of comes across this these situations happenstance. The only person that's really effectively trying to do something or move something forward is Stanley Tucci. Yeah, honestly, and and he seems and to we have... get the least amount of his story. We get the least amount of his story, but I almost feel like he gets a lot more screen time. He gets at least as much screen time as Tim Allen, if not oh, more. Yeah. And he Agreed. really fills up that time, too, with how big his performance is. Because we don't know what the fuck is up. What What do these criminals want? We don't really know. No. We You know, the hitmen are there because they were hired to kill Stanley Tucci. There's no more motivation than that. Um and and Stanley Tucci has been embezzling money from his construction company, and then he later threatens one of the executives who has hired the hitman to kill him that, like, oh, you better not kill me. I have information about the company that I'll release. And that's all we hear about that. That's the end of yeah. whatever that all, that whole thing is. So, there, uh, so this is the big difference between this movie and Get Shorty, where Get Shorty, there's a story. Yes. Uh, I think there's a lot of weakness around it, but... Um, at least I understand what is trying to be accomplished. Here, I just feel like we're moving from one... It's like being trapped in a room with a kid with ADD. Yeah, yeah. And then there there was this guy, and he, he took a lot of money from work, and then he wanted a missile. Uh-huh. And so then he went to uh-huh. these guys to get a missile, oh, wow. and they didn't have a missile, so uh-huh. they had a nuke. And oh, then when they had a... The guy took a nuke, uh-huh. and there's oh, there's oh, a strong wow. guy that could pick up the nuke hey. case. Hey, 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 uh, you know what, why don't you, uh, why don't you go in the other room and you can play some Fortnite? How about that, huh? Let's play silence. (laughs) (laughs) Let's play the silent game. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what I would say this movie is really about. I, I don't think there's an easy answer because the main thing, the main chasing around bit that we get into doesn't really kind of start until halfway or more into the movie. Like, the first 45 minutes of the movie bears very little resemblance to the last 40 minutes of the movie, and Tim Allen, the ostensible star, his main motivation in the movie is going and picking up his son from this girl's house a couple times after he gets in some mild trouble. Like, yeah. his son his son isn't even mild in big trouble. trouble is a better yeah. title for this movie. <laughs> Mid-trouble. And even then, that's <laughs> giving it too much credit. The, the criminals. Yeah. The criminals. Tom Sizemore, Johnny yes. Knoxville, Snake, and Eddie. You said it yourself. They don't really have any motivation outside of being dumb. And, and... Yeah. And they just everything. I mean, ha- this is this is William Forsyth and John Goodman. I mean, uh, from what? Raising Arizona. Uh, yes, except except no. William Forsyth and John Goodman in Raising Arizona. They have a specific plan. We have just broken out of prison. We're going well, to start yes. holding up all the hayseed banks, and everything they do makes sense because of that. Right. I'm saying in in this kind of Xerox copy you know, script, that's who, you know, they're trying to, you know, uh, hook into uh, yes, that I su- type of, you know, character. I said, su- but look, I, I, I would say that the, the two guys in Raising Arizona look like uh, just criminal masterminds. They are the Joker <laughs> and Walter White, uh, com- you know, t- two white guy paragons compared to the dudes in this movie who just, 
this is something that irked me even as uh, about the book and that I remember to this day. Every time Dave Barry would be writing about these two guys, Snake and Eddie, he it, like there'd be a lot of prose dedicated to just really how dumb they were, how these were the two of the dumbest criminals in the history of the Florida Correctional Institution and the dumbest this and they were dumber than this and that and so <laughs> dumb, 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 which is like... He 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 keeps le- they keep leaning into how dumb these criminals are because it's just a cover for the fact that they do inexplicable stuff that needs to happen to drive the story along. It's like yeah. wh- why would they see Stanley Tucci driving a nice car and decide between the two of them that he's a drug kingpin and they have to go and you know take him hostage and oh we have to take this big heavy metal thing that's obviously a drug kingpin's money and we have to take him to his house and now we have to take him to the airport like and and so so all all of these things in both the book and the movie are driven by these guys being stupid and dave barry repeatedly hammering them for being stupid at some point i was kind of just like dave barry you invented these guys so like it's not (laughs) impressive that you made up two guys and made them really stupid like give them something to be other than dumb because yeah. The two guys in Raising Arizona, yeah, they're dumb, but they're also they have a really funny sweet interplay <laughs> between mm-hmm. the two of them and like one of the like one of them is like a dad and one of them's kind of like a nurturing mom when they've when they've got Nathan Jr. Like for these two well, it's just nothing. It's just they're it's just, dumb. That's character character writing 101. You can't just be one thing. You have to be dumb but lovable. Yes. You know, you have to be a, you know, villain with a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. You know, there's you can't just it's, it's one-dimensional writing so yes uh it's bad they 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 the Rule. only people elf gavel the only <laughs> okay we really need alf to to weigh in on the movie get trouble get trouble get bi- <laughs> big shorty being bad <laughs> this is big shorty that's a movie i mean that's 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 a movie or a rapper name um, what the fuck is up with the goats? This whole movie is just chaos. Oh god, I love I love that this movie is so fast that you have already gotten to the goats. Well, I'm, I'm watching it in the background and I'm like, I I could have paused and I'm like, I'm not going to. I'm just going to watch it straight through. This movie really gets my goat, but this movie is not the goat. In fact, it's more like the woat. Um so they they are all back at the they're all back at the house. To, for, you know, because the kids have gone back there after the whole situation at the mall, and the cops have shown up there to, I guess, question the kids more about what happened at the mall, and Tim Allen is there to pick up his kid, and Rene Russo, and everybody's there. And then um, the the criminals bring their hostage, Stanley Tucci, along with Puggy carrying the bomb into the house and take everyone in the house hostage so they can rob everything. And the hitmen yeah. are outside watching all this, doing commentary on it. And then the cops arrive, and the criminals take the cops hostage and take their belts and guns. And then so the criminals take Jenny as a hostage, and they take the police car, and they take Stanley Tucci. No, they they handcuff him. They leave him at the house. And they take Puggy and the yeah. bomb, and they go, and they're going to go Stanley to the airport. Stanley Tucci. Oh, yeah, not yet. No, sorry, yeah. I'm getting yeah. ahead of myself. But they go. They they take all. They take the bomb. They take Puggy. They take Jenny. They get in the police car. They're gonna go to the airport to fly to the Caribbean. I guess they say this out loud in front of all the hostages. And then Sofia Vergara cuts everybody loose. Because they're dumb. The, the, yeah, because they're, they're dumb. Because they're dumb. Because they're dumb. Not because they wanted this story to end at the airport. It's because they're dumb. And dumb criminals just do dumb stuff. 
And so then Sofia Vergara cuts everybody loose who's been all tied up, and then they're all rushing to the airport. Also, at some point, a couple of FBI agents... Uh, yeah, Omar Epps and Heavy D. Yeah, they they show up at the at the bar where the you know where the Russians are, and they're looking for the bomb too. They the Russians don't want to talk to them, but they brag about how this special executive order gives them unlimited authority, and so they like shoot one of the guys in the toe, and talk about how they're gonna shoot him in more places until unless he tells them where the bomb went, and then they sh- like the 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 FBI agents. The criminal's whole thing is that they're dumb. The FBI agent's whole thing is that they have legal authority to hurt anybody with no repercussions, and the movie really positions that as, hell yeah, that's badass. I I have to admit, this is an area... I, okay, so I just wanted to pause to talk about some of these performances. Tom, yeah. I, as, as one-dimensional as they are, Tom Sizemore and Johnny Knoxville, A, have good chemistry, and B, I think are doing really funny things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Tom Sizemore, despite his reputation as being kind of difficult on set, I think is a really interesting actor. And He's a good performance. We don't get to see him play comedy very much. And I yeah. think he is really, really well-suited to it. He's great, um, yeah, at, at doing the, the weak bits that he's given. He's carrying them off yeah. well. The two weakest links in this movie are Omar Epps and Heavy D, who I think are completely miscast, particularly Heavy D, because yes. as this term keeps coming up in my life, you even said it in this episode, he's a Mary Sue in that, like, he can do no wrong. Mm-hmm. He knows he's one step ahead of everyone. He's a smooth criminal that can just, like, take care of business. And when he shoots someone in the foot, like... I, I would love this to have been more of a satire on the overconfident FBI agent who is like, yeah, you know, uh, th- there's something kind of malicious about how much they're abusing their power. Yes. Uh, but it's not. They're just kind of played as, you know, cool characters. And I, it really puts a bad taste in my mouth. I As much as I like Heavy D as a rapper, uh, I... I do not like his character in this movie. I, yeah, yeah. They're it's not it's they're not super fun because they're just so by the book, and their main flourish is just yeah, hurting hurting people who they're questioning and bragging about how they're going to get away with it, which has not aged well. Uh, one of the things that the government started doing in earnest after nine eleven, not that it wasn't doing it before. So they then show up at the house where where uh, Janine Garofalo and Stanley Tucci are still handcuffed to this big metal uh, shelf, and they set her free, and Stanley Tucci gets sprayed in the face by the weird frog and starts hallucinating Rene Russo's head on the dog's body. No, it was Martha Stewart's. Martha Stewart's head. A big cameo, everyone. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, because they're watching her on, on TV. Another very 2001 thing, like a thing yep. to make a joke about. Hey, Martha Stewart, ha-ha. So the the cops, the the, the FBI agents take uh, take Janine Garofalo in a car. Uh, but I just want to say, I want to see the big night locked room, two people having a conversation movie of... Stanley Tucci and Janine Garofalo in these characters being handcuffed to this thing. Like, give me just that movie. I, I mean, I, I, I want to see something. The, the, 
I want to see a movie with with Stanley Tucci and Janine Garofalo just bouncing off each other. I don't want them in these characters, though, because his character is highly irritating and too broad, <laughs> and her character is too restrained to really capitalize on Janine Garofalo's talents. Like, I would like each of them to develop a character that they actually are good, you know, that they, that suits them and that they enjoy playing. And then, yes, put those two in a, in a black box theater production together where they're both handcuffed <laughs> to a to a, a shelf. I want to see it. I'll write it. Okay, I'm working on it. Okay, great. Get get to work. See if you can have something by the end of the episode. We've only got like three okay. hours to go. I'll try. Um, everybody is rushing to the airport now because the end of the movie is a coming, and we've gotta we've gotta start. We've we've established a bunch of other things that are not going to age well over the next twenty years. Now let's go headlong into a bunch of jokes about smuggling a bomb onto an airplane. Uh, cr- I, I just want to pause. Yeah, I, I, as we're breaking this down, I am. I'm realizing the weird structure of this movie. It's it's three incidents. Yep. Yep. It's and it's the it's the you know, uh bullet into the TV, everyone coming together in that first act. Mm-hmm. It's the hostage situation in the second act and it's the getting on the plane in the third act. Yeah. And it's really just all of the characters coming and going and crisscrossing a lot of fluff between those three things. A, a lot of slapstick chasing around, like just yeah. people kind of running and and you know music, you know, energetic music playing and kind of freeze frames of a clock ticking down and stuff like that. Yeah, it's the the fir- the first the first incident at the house. It's like okay, great. This incident is going to then escalate into other incidents, but no, it's just kind of the same, <laughs> the same incident. So. Yeah, the bad guys get there first with their hostage and their nuclear bomb. They crash the police car into some barricades outside the the airport, and they also create a big traffic jam on the way, uh, like where a bunch of goats get loose on the road. Uh, and then they go in to the airport with like a gun wrapped up in a in a shirt, holding a uh, uh, Zoe Deschanel hostage. And they just go up to the counter and buy tickets on the next flight to the Bahamas under four John Smith names, and they just bribe the person to not check for ID or anything, and they let him go. They sneak the gun past airport that, security. That, that, that scene, I'm just going to inter- yeah, interrupt. Yeah, get, get in. This. Yeah. Uh, We're getting down the, to the wire, the, yeah. The scene with the ticket agent was, hands down, the most... It was the, the scene where I was like, Oh, this is this is probably one of the biggest things that got flagged by this movie, <laughs> or you know, in in post nine eleven. I when when this got canceled and just like retrospectively, or I don't know, looking back at it, I always just assumed like, oh yeah, there's like what they take a bomb to an airport, or there's like there's a nuclear bomb mm-hmm. in it and an airplane in it, and people were so sensitive, snowflakes. No, this this movie get get trouble. Big Shorty uh, goes really, really hard on like it, it's like laser guided to all these specific security yeah. failures that allowed nine eleven to happen. Yeah, exactly, and that, that's what went through my head of just like I, I remember the you know questioning of how did these people even get on the plane to begin with uh, you know as far as nine eleven, and like this was a direct you know making fun making light of that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, it it was kind of shocking. I I think that uh, the actress playing that from um, Men in Black. Uh, mm-hmm. Hold on a second. The wife of um, 
former Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, in, in, uh, in Men in, in Black. Yeah, the Egger suit. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. Uh, she uh, She's the ticket agent. She does really well. I mean, yeah. I think her comic timing and, like, recognizing that these two criminals are idiots. She As he slams down all this money on the counter, he's like... She's like that'll be three sixty for five people to fly. What the fuck? I know, I know. Uh, the prices are insane. Yeah, and he just slams down like two thousand dollars on the counter, and he's like, "Okay, take it out of that." And she starts counting it, and then not even like you know carefully adding one or two extra bills for herself. She's just like very sloppily going, "Okay, just here's here's I'm gonna take about a thousand dollars out uh-huh. of this." Yes, and, yeah. For my, and then puts it back on the counter. I, she did. I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. I, I mean, it's it is a funny bit, and the game of the scene of just her asking them for identification yeah. or stuff that they would need at the airport, and them just buying their way through it is is you know clever enough, funny enough. Uh, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say funny. Her performance is, but that that it it's just so much and in it's not it's not just that they snuck past the airport security people to get a bomb on the plane it's like they got a bomb on a plane part just like like the the air airport staff basically let them take the bomb on the plane is the thing that is really (laughs) really kind of jarring to realize because yes then they go to security like the metal detectors and they they you know they hide the gun in the thing that you put your change in and just slide it through while the ladies look in the other way and they put the bomb through the x-ray and the person makes them open it up and is looking at it and this is where they actually activate the bomb and start the timer by accident but it's just very much portrayed as she's like what the hell is this thing oh it's a garbage disposal and there's like more and people are yelling bag check bag check there's more and more bags piling up and she just is like overworked and she says fine take it whatever <laughs> that was the saddest part is just that it, it it wasn't an ineptitude on the TSA agent's part although kind of uh, it was more, I'm so overworked, this job is never-ending, the pressures of, you know, what I have to do are just ever-mounting, uh, so the amount of mistakes that can get by by the fact that we are, you know, overworking all of our workers in the world, but it, that specifically. It, yeah, it, it's the, it's the, it, the, the joke is that Airport security is so thankless that it's just ultimately it's impossible to prevent a bomb from getting on a plane. That's kind of just what the movie is saying is just, look, you can't, it's it's not that these people are dumb. It's just the whole thing is set. Folks, there's just no way. Airport security is completely ineffective. There's nothing that can be done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also around the same time, you know, as the, as the FBI agents are driving to the airport and are caught in traffic with Janine Garofalo, they are explaining to her like, oh yeah, it's a nuclear bomb and it'll go off in 45 minutes once things are, are flipped. And Janine Garofalo's character just goes, 45 minutes, man. Well, this was bound to happen one day. Like, just having a character admit, like, a horrible terrorist attack on a plane was bound to happen I one day. I hate to laugh at that. It, yeah, it's like, it's, I, I'm, not, yeah, I'm not laughing at the, the horrid nature of of that. Just, it's, you. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm laughing at how poorly timed that was. It's, like, there's no malice to any of it at all. Like, I, you only can laugh at just how many ways this movie zigs and zags to do things that just were perfectly funny <laughs> and acceptable bits at the time. You know? You know what this movie is? What? Is uh this is a middle manager 
shit talking his boss to a coworker with his boss standing right behind him and not knowing. <laughs> <laughs> He's right behind me, isn't he? <laughs> exactly. Uh, except his boss is Osama bin Laden. Uh, so. Oh yeah, so they they get then they they get on the plane with the bomb, but this then begins a uh, small plane, a tiny plane. It, it's a tiny, it's a budget hacky airline that just flies from Florida to the Bahamas. They've because they've decided that's where they're going to go. Um, and so, God, I don't even remember what happens to. Okay, yeah, they 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 they're loading the thing on the plane. They get Jenny on the plane. The criminals get on there, but then Puggy goes and he gets away and he runs back in as Tim Allen and everybody else is arriving. And Puggy tells them what's going on. And and th- at this point, the the movie just becomes like there's all these characters running around. And at this point, it's kind of all the characters get to the airport and then are just telling each other, "You go get help. I'm gonna go chase after them." And then it's just like a. a slapdash way of shedding most of these characters and having them just kind of go crashing around the airport while the main action takes place on the plane. Half of them are doing things. The other half are just kind of like, like Rene Russo, like, okay, you know, no more scenes of a love interest. So just stand there at the airport for the rest of the movie. I know that your daughter is currently on a plane with a nuclear bomb that has been hijacked by a pair of nut jobs with guns, but uh, you don't need to be very involved. You can just, you can just stand around. Uh, like Puggy, like for some reason, Sofia Vergara has gone with all of them to the airport and she and Puggy are reunited and he sees a Fritos machine and it's like, and that's, that's it for Puggy. And so there's also Tim, you know, Tim has told his son to go get a cop. Like all, all these people have taken it on themselves that, oh, we need to go to the airport to, to catch up with the criminals before they can fly away with our daughter and the bomb. And and there's a lot of like you go call the cops and they're not able to call the cops. But it's like why why are none of you just finding a payphone and calling the cops? And, and like when they're at the airport, the airport is crowded and there's all this running around. And occasionally they tell someone go find a cop, get help. And, and like airport security is inept and not helping them. But like they're just not asking anyone else for help. They're not finding a phone and calling. Like when right if you see something, say something. They are not saying something i guess they didn't know i mean we didn't have that public awareness campaign yet so maybe maybe that's <laughs> after after 9-11 they you know the bush administration watched this movie and was like mm, this is a real problem they're seeing something but nobody's saying anything this uh, movie could get us into some big trouble <laughs> uh but 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 it didn't there was no accountability for anyone in the bush administration um Tom Sizemore and Johnny Knoxville are on the plane, but they want to take off sooner, so they go up and brandish their guns at the pilots, who then report on the radio that their plane is being hijacked, and everyone at the airport is super chill about the fact that there is a hijacked plane (laughs) taking off. (laughs) Tim is chasing the plane down the runway. The FBI agents have arrived, and they're having fighter jets get scrambled to shoot the plane down because the bomb's going to go off in just a few minutes. Tim gets like he jumps onto the I, open back door of the plane and gets on it i will say now uh, i mean give him the benefit of the doubt this is 2002 2001 when it's being filmed i have to imagine you know he's a younger man and maybe still ambitious enough to to do his own running though uh as we've learned some things about tim allen's onset behavior lately um <laughs> yeah. it more than likely was a stunt performer but Giving him the benefit of the doubt, uh, 
he does have a great run. I mean, he, he looks like Tom Cruise running after a plane. I, that, that, j- exactly like Tom Cruise. I think I think he probably still does his own running now. It's just when he is running away from the set, uh, the minute he is he is uh, wrapped out for the day uh, to get in his car. Leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna just throw my Santa cloak on the ground. <laughs> It's a, it, it's a it's a it's a it's a solid run. It's a solid run. It's a solid jump to get a, into the plane. Uh, that because the the back the back stairs are still dangling down and and the door is open. All of these like just handy contrivances and things that the dumb criminals have not thought of. Um, <laughs> they they take off and Tim gets a fire extinguisher and subdues the bad guys and the FBI agents are like that. There's jets coming that are going to shoot down the plane. And and Janine Garofalo is debating with the FBI agents like, wait, you can't shoot down that plane. There's innocent people on there. And they're saying, well, so many people on the ground are going to die if the bomb goes off. And I'm like, these are actual debates that were being had on 9-11 when they knew there were hijacked planes. (laughs) So sad. (laughs) Like, like, it's just it's it's I I can say it's amazing only so many times, but it, it truly is. Um. And yeah, Tim Tim defeats the two guys, and uh, with a little help from uh, Zoe De Chanel, and they you know they get on the. I guess the FBI tells the pilots that there's a bomb on the plane, and they push the suitcase off, and Tom Sizemore refuses to let the thing go, and so he's basically holding onto the suitcase as he gets pulled down into the ocean and down under the waves, and then the nuke goes I, off. I, really, that was one of the scene, uh, shots that I thought was. Uh... Because you know, yeah. how are you going to to you know film Tom Sizemore holding onto a box as he falls from a plane into the? And I think it was a really creative solution. Yes. You just you know kind of presaging Iron Man, get really really close, you know, with a wide angle lens on his face, kind of distorting him and showing the kind of serene nature of like, oh, this is the end for me, and oops, I'm a dummy, but still you know smiling on his way down. The the way it was shot, you know was clearly just like in a black room, you know, uh, with some, some lights or whatever. But I really thought that was a a stylistic shot. Um, we skipped over it, but another shot that I really liked was, uh, when the hitmen, Dennis Farina are are trying to get to the airport as well. Oh yeah. Uh, not, not to join in on all this, but just to leave the fuck out of Miami. Yeah. Uh, they apparently have given up on Stanley Tucci. <laughs> They're just not going to get paid for that contract, I guess. Even though he's, um, even though he is tripping balls, handcuffed to a shell, very yeah. easy to kill alone at the house right now. Yeah. He's just done with Miami to the point that he's leaving. Uh, he needs to get to the airport. And so he, uh, um, steps in front of a moving bus, holds out a hundred dollar bill. And, it's... uh, the, <laughs> the, the way it's shot is like from the bus's window point of view, mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. comes to a stop. The camera comes to a stop, breaking the fourth wall, obviously, on the hundred dollar bill, um, pressed against the a, window. Yeah, it was just a really, really cool stylistic shot. I, I enjoyed. I I, I, fla- I flagged that as well. That is, yeah, both that and and Sizemore falling, holding onto the bomb. Also, like that is kind of the one moment of like almost me getting invested in his character. Like he is so singularly obsessed on this suitcase and whatever's yeah. in it and that he dives after it and just is willing to die just to be close to this thing. And that it, you know, it, it's him falling and then it goes under the water and then it just continues dragging him underwater at the same rate. And he just looks so happy, just him in his suitcase. 
So the, many pausing throughout this whole thing, though. Yeah, it, too too much of that. Uh, one other shot that I really liked during this ending thing, uh, Rene Russo has, you know, Tim has gone chasing off after the plane. Tim has told Rene Russo to go get help. This is the fourth person told to get help at this point. And she goes running back into the terminal and encounters Tim Allen's son, who had he'd told to go get help like 10 minutes ago. And she is running one direction on one of those moving uh, conveyor belts for people. <laughs> and he's right, running yeah. the other way. And they kind of like, you know, see each other and stop. And, and he goes, wait, where's my dad? And she she is like, she has to turn around and walk in the opposite direction of the of the motion of the conveyor belt to maintain the same position. And she just points... At, you know, out the window where we see Tim Allen uh, running, but just like the ca- the camera is is pushing in as she and the son are are walking in opposite directions to try and stay level with each other as she points. It is a very complex technical shot in a dumb, worthless movie that looks. There really are a lot cool. of those. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but so uh, Tim saves the day. They land the plane. Uh, uh, Zoe Deschanel is gushing to her mom about how cool Tim was saving the day, and then this proves to his son, "Oh, my dad actually isn't a loser." Which but this is the second movie, at least we've watched, where Tim Allen has his big problem is his son thinks he's a loser, and then at the end of the movie, his son hears about how he did something cool and no longer thinks he's a loser. This this is the exact plot arc in Wild Hogs as well. <laughs> Sorry, I just got distracted by a review of this movie. I uh, the 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 review says abandon all hope, ye who enter here. <laughs> no, the title is one of the funniest movies of all time. Uh, written by Osama bin Laden. <laughs> Very uh, inspirational if, film. If, if bin Laden's uh, uh, IMDb handle is uh, Pookie is cute. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, it was written in two thousand four. Ah, I mean, I don't know. It could be he was still he was still hiding out in Pakistan at that point, just just catching up on his on his letterboxed scores and IMDb reviews. It's a little long. I'm not going to read it all. Uh, but um, they do say that okay. I just want to see if you agree with this uh, assessment of what this movie's about. Um, Big Trouble is most assuredly one of the funniest movies ever produced, written, and directed. An all-star cast, in my opinion. Um, well, they I are. I think all you funny. have those. I have those. Those reversed. Like, in your opinion, it's one of the funniest movies. It is an all-star cast. That's yeah. a fact. Yeah. No. You, yeah. You um, can't argue with the star power at work here. But he, he, they say. Uh, all-star in this um, laugh-out-loud comedy about how a seemingly easy hit job goes terribly awry. Is that what it's about? It's not really about, like, the, the hitmen are so pref- are so peripheral to everything. They they are mostly sitting in a car near where things are happening throughout the movie, being annoyed by being in the movie. This movie is so funny, and the subject matter is so easy to follow. However, <laughs> very difficult to write about, because w- without giving the movie away as far as what the plot is and how it ends, you can't really tell what it's about. I mean, well, look, and here we are trying to recap what the movie's about and we can't even really tell you what it's about. So yeah, exactly. I, I, in that regard, the review is right. Look, I need to talk about what happens though when <laughs> okay. they land the Sorry, plane. Sorry, I get distracted. I know. How, how dare yes. you get distracted? Uh, because it's very, this is a very cogent and easy to follow podcast, much like the <laughs> movie uh, uh, Big Trouble. Hey, I got it right. I didn't call it Big Shorty. Um, 
so the FBI agents come up to the Tim. The Big Shorty? The Big Shorty. Oh, okay, okay. You know, that, uh, that that's a movie that really makes you think, you know. That Adam McKay, he's got a little bit more going on. He's just, he's not just a clown. <laughs> I, to be honest, I could have used Marco Robbie in the middle of this movie telling me what the fuck was going on. <laughs> yes, I, I, I could have used that too, but based on how poorly all the women are written and treated in this film, I would not want yes. to see, see any of that happen to her. Fair point. Uh, so... The FBI agents pull Tim aside as his son is telling him, hey, I respect you now that you did this. And they they say to him, I wrote down this direct quote, the president wants to congratulate you for your selfless act of service, but because he can never admit what happened here today, in lieu of a Medal of Honor, he'd like to send you a pair of cowboy boots with the letter W on them and a hat. So, this, what, I I know what, I know what Big Trouble is about, Landon. Big Trouble is a movie about how George W. Bush had secret knowledge of an airline hijacking on American soil and didn't oh tell God. anybody about it. That's that's Holy what this movie's shit. about. Like Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The fact like if you take if if you take this movie as as real, the fact that this happened presumably sometime in early to mid two thousand one, and then that George W. Bush was aware of it, these FBI agents told him, and he didn't make any changes to airport security afterwards. That oh, is God. that is the most damning indictment of his administration, or at least in the top <laughs> five. Um, I would say, uh, if true then George W. Bush is in big trouble. No, no, he's not. He is painting pictures in Texas and giving speeches at think tanks. No accountability. Oh. And now oh, my dad, shit. now my dad thinks that he's actually a pretty decent guy because Trump was so much worse. And I'm not at all mad about that. So anyway, um, we get a little bit of a denouement at this point. We get some epilogues for a couple of characters who we honestly forgot were in the movie. Patrick Warburton's character becomes a male stripper because oh yeah because Did you ever think you would see patrick's warburton's i okay is that are you trying to make that a thing where you refer to a, an actor's butt cheeks as his last names because you were also talking about seeing john ham's hams in the new fargo <laughs> you and get I, to see john's hams yeah <laughs> in I, the new fargo series I'd, I'd rather see john ham's hog for one thing and um <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I didn't expect. <laughs> I didn't expect to see Patrick Warburton's Warburtons. I didn't expect to see his War Button. Um, but it looks pretty like this is Patrick Warburton at like peak sexiness. This is him in shape for the Tick TV series. I, I would assume. Yes. Uh, uh, a a series that Barry Sonnenfeld directed an episode or two of. A, a series that was criminally underrated and very formative for me. So, yeah, he's become a stripper because I, at some point at the end, the when he gets to the airport and is trying to get help, he's being a dick to an airport security guard played by Andy Richter, twin brother of the other security guard, who decides to strip search him. And we don't see how that turns out until we see him running naked through the airport at the end. Uh... The hitmen finally get to go home, but they're on a plane full of Florida Gators fans, which is a tie-in to a dumb running joke that I'm not going to explain to you. Um, <laughs> and, and then, and then it's just so like we. Oh, and yeah, Johnny Knoxville gets sent to prison and and winds up making armpit fart jokes with his cellmate. So cool, good. Thanks for reminding us about that. And then we just get kind of a shot of like all the all the people leaving the airport, like Tim and Renee Russo are making out, and Puggy and and uh, Sofia Vergara are like cuddling, and and the you know Tim Allen's son and Zoe Deschanel are kind of cuddling, and we get the voiceover from Tim saying, "We all go along day after day when suddenly a bomb drops into our lives. Sometimes you can't get out of the way, 
Sometimes it's a new beginning. It's like, this means nothing. Don't try to wrap any, don't try to tie a well, bow on this. This does not mean a thing. I mean, yeah, the movie is trying to give it, you know, rosy sheen. But, you know, if we're talking reality, that bomb, you know, 9-11 definitely did give us a new beginning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't necessarily a good one, but, I mean, <laughs> it was a dividing line of a whole new era. That's true. I mean, look, that is very true. Everything, it is, yeah. <laughs> a new a new beginning of a of a new nightmare. And also, that bomb going off, that was a pretty sad ending for probably millions of endangered species living off the Florida coastline. Like, there's just, like, going to be dead manatees, irradiated Aww. dead manatees raining out of the sky for weeks to come. <laughs> just like tremor guts. Yeah, I mean, hon- honestly, <laughs> honestly, yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm honestly, given how, how in poor taste most of this movie is, I'm surprised they didn't show that happening. Um, and then the last thing we see is Stanley Tucci in the middle of the street outside his house, still sweating and hallucinating Martha Stewart dog, barking at him, just screaming, make her stop, make her stop, she wants my soul. Uh, and then seven minutes of credits for this dumb movie, but no bloops. That, that's really how you know they're padding it. Yeah, wait, so this movie... Because this, this comes in at, what's he, uh, 118. 118, really? One, and, oh, one hour and 18 minutes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. when you're taking away the seven-minute credits, yeah. That's, yeah. That's nothing for this level, this amount of cast. I mean, that's insane it, to me. Like, it just, Christmas with the Cranks, I was acutely aware that there was stuff that was taken out. Like, it very much felt like that, this was chopped up after. But the, I don't know... Unless the extra stuff was just that every one of these scenes with two people in it, like, all these two-hander scenes went on way longer, and someone in the editing room was like, guys, all of this shit isn't funny, all this shit sucks, we need to cut these scenes down. (laughs) Like, if it was just this sequence of events, but every scene lasted several minutes more, oh, God, it's... Bone this, chilling. This, right now, you're making me regret not watching it with the audio commentary uh, today, because I... I got the movie from the library, and there is a commentary with Barry Sonnenfeld on it, and I feel like there's answers in there, and I really want them, but not but, enough to watch it now that the podcast is over. I'm trying to think if Barry Sonnenfeld, like, like would they put, because you're doing a DVD special features for for Big Trouble, like, is the vibe when you're recording the commentary like, yeah, this movie's a piece of shit, we all know it, I'm going to explain what went no. wrong, or is it going to be Barry no, going but, like, oh, we had so much fun that day? No, of course not. But, you know, he could allude to there being stuff that they shot that wasn't in it or just changes that were made or the circumstances that, you know, it was released in. There's got to be some answers there or at least alluding to some answers. But uh, we'll never know. Yeah, we 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 never will. Or I don't know, maybe I'll maybe I'll rent it from the library and, and I'll watch the the Barry Sonnenfeld commentary, the Sonnenterry, because I I don't know, I I, I at least want to understand how, like, I want to hear how Barry Sonnenfeld uh, kind of tugs on his collar and anxiously talks through the last 30 minutes of uncomfortable 9-11 parallels. <laughs> it's just one of those moments in the audio commentaries where they go silent for a bit. Yeah. just It's just him just muttering never forget every two minutes just so you know that he doesn't <laughs> approve of what's happening. <sighs> Do you think the trouble was big? No. I mean, it was a nuclear bomb, Landon. I mean, I know that's. <laughs> I feel like it should give me more pause to say that, uh, but no, I don't. It, it, it I don't is, feel like the trouble was big enough. 
It, it was, yeah, no, I mean, I, I guess I went after the you The consequences there. were. Yeah. But the trouble wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Again, kind of, kind of the, kind of the opposite of the of the Bush administration in yet another way. Um, yeah, no, the, like, <laughs> there, there's so many ways the trouble could have been bigger. Like, it could have been, Rene Russo is like trying to get Tim to help her like get unframed by the cops and kill Stanley Tucci, and like there could have been. Yeah, why the fuck? The the characters. Why, why? that is such an un like. We have these two hitmen. They're hired by an unseen person in this movie. Yes. And we have Rene Russo, who has reason to want him dead. Like, just change that. It's such a simple thing that would have made it so much better. Yeah. You, like, you can then play into a lot of, like, film noir tropes and play around with that. What Like, they're, like the characters don't really have any... Like, the characters don't really get mixed up or intertwined in one another's lives in a meaningful way. They all just happen to be in the same place at the same time two or three times while a weird thing is yeah. happening. The, 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 There's, there is this whole, like, I don't know, com- crime comedy through coincidence genre that is yeah. happening in this, you know, two to three year period in the early aughts that I'm, I'm glad is kind of played out. And... Now that we're talking about it, I'm not sure I want to go watch uh, Snatch, but maybe I do. Maybe that's the good example of it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't... I you d- got the Farina in that. You got the Farina in that, and you've got the, the Brad Pitt kind of in a in a breakout acting performance, but... I, I don't know. I, I feel like also you've got way more gratuitous violence, and I, I bet I bet they yeah. use some some terminology and some phraseology in that movie that has not aged super well either. So yeah, well, they you know there's the whole thing about the I don't even know what the proper term is for for them now. Uh, you, you mean know, Romani people? That, yeah, the travelers. Yeah, yeah the exactly. Tribe that, yeah, the Brad Pitt belongs to. So yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, and that's probably Romani face. You know, Brad Brad Pitt, white dude from Oklahoma, playing a yeah. You know, let's not analyze the the stupid reasons why another twenty year old movie that is still probably yeah, much better than this that. one is problematic. Yeah. Um. So I'd say yeah. Don't don't watch uh don't watch Big Trouble. Um. But I, I mean, also, I guess if any of our if any of our our fans have certain feelings about women's feet, well, then they probably are already watching Get Trouble, and I just hope that you <laughs> they could have educated us on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, guys, come on, let us know if this is going to be in one of our movies. Um, I don't know. Do you have any final thoughts? Um, it's weird for how. I mean, I agree. Don't waste your time with Big Trouble. It's uh, for how kind of tug at your collar it is it didn't i'm gonna forget this movie more than i'm gonna be you know annoyed by this movie having watched this movie true yeah it's it it's trying to have a good time with a really tricky subject matter um that wasn't tricky when they made it yeah it's not toxic the way that like i mean the the stanley tucci scene is but yeah but that's one yeah it's not like I don't know. I I find a lot of Tim Allen's other stuff, Zoom in particular, and the Shaggy Dog. There's much more toxic shit in those. Maybe not the Shaggy Dog, but you know what I mean. We've I, talked about it ad nauseum yeah. and the show of just the the like, why the fuck of all of the characters in the world that we can tell a story about? Why are we telling yet another story of a put out white male in you know 
whatever situation he finds himself. And, um, and, and this is a movie about a put out white male. It's just, there's, there is no time for a spirit of grievance because there's yeah. just so much dumb stuff that has to go on. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's fine. Uh, but there's so much other things you could do with your, your time. I will say though, you probably were curious about this <laughs> before we should have said this at the start of the episode. There's no real easy way to watch this. As I said, I had to get this from the library. I'm not sure how you watch it. Truman, I, I, I rented it on Amazon. I spent $3.79 to watch this movie. Your Patreon bucks hard at work there. I, am I going to um, get, uh, excuse me, I'm getting reimbursed for that. I, that came out of my own pocket. Thank you very much. Oh, oops. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't have the company credit card, I guess. You're not. <laughs> F- folks, folks. Well, it, it all goes, it all goes to the same place. Wait, it's the stomach of grunt work. Landon, are you, are you embezzling money from the company? Because if you are, I, uh, I know a couple guys who need to visit you. Let me just look up Dennis Farina, who I'm sure is still alive. Oh my God. Pour um, one out. Uh, so yeah, don't, don't seek it out. It, you know, if you're like a Friday night and like, uh, you're getting a pizza and want to watch 20 minutes of mo- of a movie, you could do worse, I guess, but. Well, the first 20 um, minutes of this are the best part, probably. Be, well, minus the Stanley Tucci stuff. But, the second yeah. you see Stanley Tucci, you mash the pause button and turn on a Jeopardy episode. <laughs> I, or, um, or an episode of Stanley Tucci in Italy. Goodbye. Yeah. Sorry, Bela was leaving, so I think she she's telling us we got to end the episode. We, we got to wrap it up. Look, here, here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. I, I agree. I will probably forget this movie more than it than a lot of our others, which is ridiculous given that this movie is trying so hard to be memorable. Uh, yeah. I think that I'm I'm I can tell you from experience, a dog for Christmas has made a much more indelible impression on my <laughs> psyche. Then I am get, worried for you about that. Actually, I, I, I look. I am still. Kind you, of, you, you, you texted me that. Hey, I might low key watch this movie at, <laughs> at Christmas when I'm gone. I mean, when I'm back, back in Oregon, I don't know. Like late, late night. My parents have gone to bed. It's Christmas Eve. Maybe I'll put on a dog for Christmas again. I'll naturally, <laughs> I un- have a little nightcap and uh, uh, yeah. see where the night goes, and then finally, you know, just find myself in bed thinking of something to watch. And oops, what are you? How did that happen? <laughs> Dog for Christmas starts playing. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! I dropped my i I dropped my glass on the keyboard and it accidentally started playing a Dog for Christmas, <laughs> the movie that is so easy to find on streaming services. <sighs> okay. Oh God. Well, yeah. yeah. A big trouble for Christmas. Uh, we're wrapping that one up. Anything? Are we done? Are we done talking about Big Trouble? I, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I think we are. And and in about twenty minutes, we'll be done thinking about Big Trouble because we will have completely forgotten it. <laughs> Good point. Um, okay, then. Uh, here's the the dealio. It's the holidays, everyone. Shing 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 shing. <laughs> and what's the what's the sound effect for New Year's? Uh, uh, that's probably just me doing the entire soundtrack for the Hudsucker proxy. So. <laughs> okay great uh so <laughs> it's the holidays we are gonna take off uh two weeks because we couldn't get our uh schedules aligned to get uh get this going so and i've got to um, watch a dog we'll, for christmas a few times so that's gonna fill up my we'll schedule see you in the new year we're not going to be doing another episode of a dog for christmas though what an idea that would be mm, um yeah. we could have done a two-parter we, We'll be back with uh, two more films uh, before we go to our Grunt Work Super Spectacular. So 
it's counting down. By the end of January, grunt work will be over, and we'll be on to our next project. Our next project. Oh boy. It's and and you know what? I'll just say it now. The, it's it's an entire podcast about nine eleven. So if you enjoyed our <laughs> reverent coverage today, dear God, sign up for more. It's not. It's not. It's not. I'm just gonna put that out there. It's not. Um, I'm pretty sure people were gonna buy that land, and it seemed very sincere the way it came out of my mouth. <laughs> uh. So I just want to prepare people that we are we're getting ready to ship on out. Um, we'll see you uh, in the new year mm-hmm. with uh, Joe Somebody Joe will be our next film. Somebody, another film that's super easy to find. Oh boy, that's <laughs> they started like at some point there's going to we're gonna find a Tim Allen movie that they like locked in a lead case and dropped in the Marianas Trench. Just like no no I one think that's should ever look at this. That, that is who is Cletus Tout. <laughs> That the movie, yeah, like th- this movie that is like obliquely about nine eleven just got delayed. But apparently, Cletus Tout was was so radioactive after nine eleven that they <laughs> no eyes could see it again. <laughs> um, we'll uh, we'll see you then. Uh, if you want to help us create the show in the meantime, help us keep these uh, mics plugged in, the episodes flowing into the RSS feeds that go into the podcatchers and into your ear holes. That's how it works. You can do so. <laughs> By becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash gruntworkpod. Oh, my God. Bela went to the bathroom, and it smells so bad in here. <laughs> Only the best. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Dear God. Got to get through this outro. Oh, I trust for you. Only, for, only a dollar, for only a dollar a month, you can help support our show and get an access to our entire archive. I'm going to just plug my nose. Our entire archive of <laughs> Gruntwork Nights episodes, where there's over, uh, what did I say we were at? 200, 300? I don't and, even know. I think 200. A lot. Yeah. yeah, so many. Yeah, close to, probably at this point, close to 250. So a lot of extra content over there that you can <laughs> get for only $1. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of extra content in, uh, in Bela's litter box, it seems like, too. I, oh, she's been having tummy issues. Um, Still? I hope she's not back. Um, Oh, God. What comes after that? Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to the show. It helps people find it. And uh, we really want people to find this show because uh, if they find this show, they'll find the next show. And mm. that's where we get them. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where the money is. We want this show to be easier to find than a lot of Tim Allen vehicles from 20 years that's, ago. That's true. And your Patreon bucks help to keep the show on the air uh, after it's ended. So, um that thank you for that and do it again sometime huh yeah yeah do it yeah why not try it stop by and say hi to us over at instagram at gruntwork pod or if you want to keep it private you can email us at gruntwork podcast at gruntwork you know at gruntwork podcast at gmail.com um what else do i usually say oh yeah hey you might be listening to this episode on our website you might not and you aren't if you aren't you might want to visit our website and that website that is ours is located at www.gruntworkpodcast.com where you can find other information on today's show as well as all of our past episodes. And until next year, 2024, when we bring you... God, we're still doing this in 2024. I'm sorry. We bring you Joe Somebody. I can't wait to find out who this somebody Joe is. Yeah, and after that, we're going to find out who Cletus Tout is, and finally, we're going to crack the mystery of Harry Crumb. Do you think Joe Somebody is actually Joe the Plumber? Oh, man. Uh, Based on the actor who plays him, I would say that they probably have some things in common.
<laughs> Joe Plumbuddy would really be his name. Ooh. Until next time, I've been Landon Solano. I've been Truman Caps. And remember, I don't really have a thing. I'm going to just start reading the names of some Dave Barry books here. Dave Barry does Japan. Dave Barry's Gift Guide to End All Gift Guides. Dave Barry's Complete Guide to Guys. Dave Barry in Cyberspace. Dave Barry's Book of Bad Songs. Dave Barry Turns 50. Dave Barry Hits Below the Beltway, a vicious and unprovoked attack on our most cherished political institutions. Dave Barry's Money Secrets. Dave Barry on Dads. Dave Barry's History of the Millennium. So far, you can date boys when you're 40. Dave Barry on 30.